the first of the Steve Jobs movies, Jason Goes to Heck, then meets Freddy, and who is Lee Daniels and his butler this week on 302010. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, the Ladies M Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a rip roaring journey 30, 20, and 10 years into our pop culture past. We're going to tell you all the dope milestones for the movies, TV, video games, music, and so very much more on this week of 302010. And for the first time ever, I wish we were 10 years in the future so we could all be discussing the Montgomery Riverboat Brawl. <laughs> 2023. It is the best thing I've seen all week, and I've seen 800 versions of it. By it's... God, that guy's got a folding chair. Yeah. By God, he's got a folding chair. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and uh, R.A.P. William Friedkin, you are such an asshole, yeah. but you were well, so got... good at what you did, and that is going to be a theme this episode. We have multiple instances of films discussing, is it worth the art if the person is a total dick? I'd say that I'd have to live through a lot of his movies. Totally. Sorcerer, To Live and Die in L.A., French Connection. Hell yeah. And yeah, that little movie nobody liked called The Exorcist. But, (laughs) oh man. I'd say that the art is separate from the artist and the odds of Shakespeare or Homer being good people by your 2023 standards are (laughs) near zero. Mm. Uh, True. So I'm J.R. Rawls, and I will be reading a joke. My father has sent me at least once a year, every year, for the last 12 years. 20 years ago, we had Johnny Cash, Bob Hope, and Steve Jobs. <laughs> now, we have no cash, no hope, and no jobs. Damn. Please, don't let Kevin Bacon die. <laughs> <laughs> that is a perfect 30-20-10 joke. If our audio wasn't shitting the bed, I would have played an applause break. Patreon.com slash time is how you can support us and our show. We are fiddling around with audio right now to try and fix certain things. It's just taking taking a little while. Um, hopefully, this is sounding okay. Hi, uh, Patreon. Become a patron, please. Support this show, Video Game Apocalypse, and all our endeavors. We got a bunch of interesting. Is, is the indie thing up? Oh man, the indie show was really fun talking to you guys about Indie Five and how is Indiana Jones going to go forward with two ultra mega fans and myself who. I'm in so many positions with my friends where I grew up a mega fan, and then I meet someone like Jr. and Diana who overshadows all my fandom and make me look like a casual, casual fan. It's a good feeling, though, when you run into someone who knows more about something than you. Like, there's a moment of like, "Hey, it, it is. You, you are. Those are all correct facts. All right. I did that recently with a uh, professor who was studying something by Carl Barks." Which is going to lead to something we're going to talk about in this episode, which I know very much about because it's very rare that I've worked on something in in our 302010 segments, uh, especially as vigorously as this. Anyway, moving on. What a great show we have in store for you today. Only if you're a patron, though. If not, I'm going to say stop listening right now until you give us five bucks. Just kidding. But tell a friend or do something. Tweet about the show. Welcome to 302010. This week we'll be discussing August 11th through 17th of 1993, 2003, and 2013. Get it? 30, 20, and 10 years ago. A symphony in three segments. Let's begin as we always do in 1993. First of all, the U.S. Court of Appeals rules uh, Congress must save all email. And they did forever (laughs) until 
what Hillary Clinton? No, uh. I I believe the way when I was looking into the the lock the lock her up era, it was like nobody followed that rule for a mm. long long time. Mm. Almost no presidents and no especially no cabinet members. No, but you I'm can guessing keep that... all the emails, but you have to keep them in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, they oops, these accidentally got flushed. Uh, all my emails, but uh, yeah, uh, I am amazed that that was a 1993 ruling because pretty nuts. Email was still like very like ultra high tech in 1993. Not a lot of people knew about it. I don't feel there. Yeah. There was a Seinfeld joke at the time of uh, they flash back to 1994 or whatever, and she says, "Oh yeah, I send these things called email." And he's like, "You use a computer to write a letter? What are you, a scientist?" exactly save all your email i guess they were preserving every memo and document i believe that's something government does yeah you're supposed to hold on to that stuff it's public record it's public property accountability baby yeah they decided nope uh, email's a part of it and that's how you got forward 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 (laughs) look out if someone leaves a rose on your car at target because it means there's human trafficking Send this to three presidents or you'll have bad <laughs> luck for the rest of the year. Um, anyway, something more near and dear to my heart, and I didn't know how old this was. Mattel has been Hasbro have been scooping up every toy company. Hmm. But in this case, they left the brand name alone. Fisher Price hmm. is officially absorbed into Mattel. Either a merger, I think it's an outright acquisition, but Mattel decided Fisher Price will just be our preschool brand. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense because you don't necessarily associate Fisher Price with the He Man action figures. No. You officiate it with your three year old, you know? Sometimes, but uh, I was just looking like, what if the fucking Viewmaster and Power Wheels, like those were all Fisher Price things that got the label removed. But uh, it, may, but yes, they make first and foremost little people, and you do associate Fisher Price. I associate Fisher Price for some reason with the toys I put in my mouth. So that must mean preschoolers, <laughs> or I have problems too deep to dig into this show on. Moving on to movies of 1993, The Fugitive, as we sung its praises last week, is, thank God, still number one at the box office. Hell yeah. And uh, taking on all comers, uh, including, first up, uh, Max Pomeranek, Ben Kingsley, Lawrence Fishburne, Joan Allen, and Joe Montaigne in Searching for Bobby Fischer. Oh, man. This is one of those movies where it's like, I feel like no one's heard of it, and then if someone brings it up, it's like, we are friends now. It's like, this is just a really well-made interesting film for grown-ups about chess 100% I mean this but also about like being a prodigy and like do you owe it to your gifts to try as hard as possible should you push your kids if they have a talent all kinds of stuff going on in this man this is a fascinating exploration of the question what do you do if you find out that your child is in the top point zero 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 one percent of something i mean that is a question you have to face for that small percentage of people but it's fascinating to see this couple wrestle with all these issues of we want him to have a normal life but it's a great scene when uh the father says he is better at this than i have been at anything in my life ever and it really captures the chess world amazingly well. Uh, the way they direct the chess scenes is exciting, and that's mm. really hard to do. Yeah. I think it was this film that introduced me to the concept that you can play chess professionally. Like before this film, yes, Baby Jr. didn't know that was a thing at all. It, 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 the, the little clock things. This, <laughs> like I'd never seen those before, and now I don't 
when I think of chess, I can't not associate because for me, this played on HBO at like, you know, 9 a.m. all Mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. So I I endured this movie a lot to the point where I never wanted to see it again. But it was also a little too I saw it a little too young. Because mm. I love hearing people talk about it now. Yeah, because like it does come at that from an interesting angle. This kid just has a natural ability at chess. No one taught him chess. He just watched and he figured it out. And you know, watching like Street Hustlers in, in Central Park. And so this film always made me want to go to a park in New York City and find a wise old black man to teach me the ways of chess. Because goddamn, do they make <laughs> chess look exciting in this film? I it's what it is one of those things that there are few games or sports I wish I was good at, and chess I. I, I just don't have the long-term thinking for it. I can't watch. I can't see two moves ahead. I forget. I hate it. I'm just, I just don't have I it. I love it. I hate it. I, I mean, I, I, it's not that I don't like this movie or like Queen's Gambit. It's just, I have to like relearn every time. I'm like, it's just too much stuff to, to know here. It's like, I have to be a football coach just to sit down and play a board game. Fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> no, see. All right. So I'm a gamer. I just went to Gen Con, the world's largest board game and RPG convention. There you have to learn games much more complex than chess and you have to play them for the first time. And that's my jam. I love it. Chess is like my comfort game. It's the game I want to play when I'm just feeling like I just want to do the old familiar game. And I've started playing with my son about four years ago. And when I started out, I uh, was playing with my pawns, my king, and my queen, and he had his entire board. And it was a fair fight. And then, over the last four years, I've added more and more characters, (laughs) and we're already at the point where it's an even match. We both start out with the same number of pieces, and he can beat me about 50% of the time, and I can beat him 50% of the time, and he's 10. Oh, my (laughs) freaking God. He's not Bobby Fish or anything, but it's one of those things where I'm like, wow, you got skills. I can beat you now. I'm not sure I'm going to beat you as soon as you hit puberty. <laughs> this is true. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. just uh, it's, 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 city, but like a bunch of like crowds around chess games as if it was like as if Street Fighter 2 had just come out. It still happens in almost every big city. Yeah. I think oh, let's go ahead, permanent chess boards like s- cemented into the sidewalk. Yeah. To oh, and, games like this. and speed chess. Speed chess is so much fun to watch because it goes by so fast. You're like, well, uh, I didn't have time to think. And I, uh, now there's three moves have just happened. I've yeah. watched a couple of Grandmaster uh, games on YouTube yeah. uh, where it's just, you know, one move a second and you just see the board. And that's a fascinating experience for me. I love that. But the type of mindset that is needed to play professional chess is really explored well in this film because that's one of those things where far more people would want to do it than there's actual positions for. So this film captures that very well in this clip. He's the son of two lawyers. He grew up on Park Avenue, went to Columbia and Horace Mann before dropping out to play chess full time. He plays about 200 chess tournaments a year. Pesa. Pesa. How much do you make at the tournaments altogether? About $2,000 a year? Look at that. I got him thinking. I got him thinking. Maybe I can win a pawn. <laughs> That's it. He, he dropped out of prestigious school to play <laughs> chess, and now he's just obsessed about whether he can get this pawn or not. Um, yeah, it's, it's like professional video gaming. So many people want to do it that the odds you're ever going to be able to be a professional chess player are minuscule. But this movie 
explores the exception. It explores one of those kids who's just amazingly talented and could do it. Yeah, but and at his what name is not cost? Bobby Fisher. <laughs> yeah, but but also at what cost? I mean, his dad starts pushing him. It, it screws up their relationship. It screws up his relationships with all kinds of stuff. Do you want him to turn into that Austin Pendleton guy or what? You know, Bobby Fisher, amazing chess player. He's insane. He's kind of a <laughs> lunatic. Yeah. Uh, would I want that for my kid to achieve greatness nope. at the cost of their no. soul? Yeah, that's what this movie's about. And yeah, it's freaking great. Written and directed by Steve Zalian. I think it's his first. He hasn't directed that much, but we'll talk about him later this year because he writes a movie called Schindler's List. <gasps> so, I've heard of it. yeah, they're, they're yes. wrapping production on that right about now while he's off making his chess movie. And it's. Yeah, it's the kind of movie. I wish there were movies like this. I say this in like every fucking episode. Like this is just well, an interesting drama about like... something I'd never thought about before. Okay. I think this week this is like I am placing all these movies belong to members of my family because I remember them <laughs> really caring about them. Like my mom and dad were watching this, and like I remember is that Bobby Fisher? Like Bobby Fisher's not in this. Go to bed. <laughs> But I remember my grandmother really loving David Paymer, Tom Sizemore, Kira Sedgwick, Elizabeth Shue, Alfred Woodard, Charles Grodin, and R.D.J. himself, Robert Downey Jr., and Hearts and Souls. Um, Hearts and Souls. Yeah, I get this confused for so many other things besides yeah. Chances Are, because that also has R.D.J. in it and has to do with like souls and reincarnation. It's like the Frighteners uh, with, with bad effects. <laughs> But it, but that is sort of the plot. Uh, a bunch of ghosts helping out one guy, but to help the ghosts out. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's the old, you know, the sixth sense thing of so they have unfinished business. But like they're all they're they, they all died in an accident right when where RDJ was born. So they're all just stuck with him forever. Which they may not be in hell, but they're in heck. Yeah. Okay, they are <laughs> in a horrible, horrible afterlife. I have taken care of two babies okay. but i was able to unite you know uh cradle those babies rock those babies and i was able to do other things i was very very busy but i got a little break these people are trapped with a newborn baby within about eight feet and they cannot leave more than eight feet away from this baby and they can't read anything they can't touch anything <laughs> they can't do anything except Change just channel. be there it's it's like when and, my yeah. when my audio shits the bed and I'm on a podcast and I have to sit there silently and not weigh in on anything. No, no, don't ask me anything. Sorry, these are personal <laughs> issues, but it's just like that. No, no, it's not. <laughs> exactly like that. <laughs> I mean, and I then, guess it helps that like ghosts probably don't get tired and don't need sleep, so there's there's that's, that. worse. that's worse. Oh my gosh, so you don't worse. even get dreams. That's so much worse. You're <laughs> you're like never ending. You can't even like escape into your uh, imagination all the time. You, you can't even get the satisfaction of a good shit. You're just <laughs> trapped there. Yeah, man, I had the most basic dream today of like, all you can eat pizza buffet. And I woke up, I'm like, we don't have any more of those because the pandemic, boo hoo. But it was a beautiful <laughs> dream, collecting all the pizza. Oh, made a game out of it. Yeah. No dream, yeah. But it, it's it's a little slice of hell, but they take it on the chin. Yeah, anyway, I mean, Heart and Souls, it's, it, it was very... Uh... It was less schmaltzy than I, I was expecting. And I'll, I'll admit, I did not watch the whole thing because there were like a lot of movies this week. Oh, but, no, and I'm pretty sure I saw it like back in the day and just being like, oh, it's it's sentimental without getting like crazy schmaltzy. And just the idea that like over time, because these ghosts are stuck with this person, they feel like parental towards him. And then they start realizing like, oh, he's a little kid running around talking to these imaginary people who turn out to be real because they're ghosts. 
but like we're doing damage to him. Maybe we should go away or just like not say anything. And then then they pop up again when he's an adult and he's like lost his shit because he thought he had a psychotic break as a child. <laughs> I th- there's a horror movie version of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and also Where your imaginary friends that... are real and they're ghosts, and sometimes they leave you. Or, they or abandon you. Or you worship Robert Downey Jr. and you're forced to just sit around and watch him throughout the rest of his life. That, oh, <sighs> god damn. Uh, because it's worse after they stop talking to him. Then they just have to observe him without even being able to, like, have a conversation with them. I mean, imagine watching one person's life and that's all you can do for 33 years. That's pretty hellish. <sighs> no. And how much of the time you'd be like, no! No, don't date that girl. She crazy. <laughs> no, don't drive drunk. Put your seatbelt on. Oh and it's already God. Jay we're talking about. And just as he's getting into the bad times. So. <laughs> the fun times. Yeah. Uh, we are seeing his physical side here because he's possessed by these ghosts at various different parts of the film. So he has to like throw his body around, act like a very feminine woman at times and uh he's definitely going for the broad strokes of acting in this film yep and then uh it's okay i guess it's not it's not for me but like uh, it's like it's like i think i saw chaplin but i'd like this is like oh who's this robert downey jr guy who's his dad is he anybody important like it's when (laughs) i first noticed him in uh i like watched half of this on hbo back in the day and Mm -hmm. i Rewatched it for the show just to like check it off the list, but I would not recommend it to anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah there, that's where, I, where, where I, that's where I'm at with a lot of these movies, despite how many times I've seen them. So, same is the case with my little sister's favorite movie of 1993, Maggie Smith, Kate Mabley, The Secret Garden. My God, did my sister love this movie? One of the few <laughs> non-Disney films in our house that came in one of those big white clamshells, and it got watched all the time. And it just—it feels so antiquated to think about. My mom and my sister loved this book, and all they had was the 1949 movie version to watch. That yeah. was it until this, Ooh. and it like completely replaced it. It was never watched again. Just this version, and for a long time, I think Secret Garden fans, this is the one to go to. I think they made another one in 2020. I, so I'm forced to watch this in a one TV household 200 times. I've seen it over and over again. I couldn't tell you anything about it because I'm usually like kicking my feet on the ground and like walking outside secret fucking garden again. God damn it. I want to transform Not just that. It just, you know, whenever you, when, whenever your little sister gets to pick the thing, it's like mm. you just endure. You don't have a phone to look at. You just endure for an hour and a half. Yep. Well, what if someone told you that it was written by the lady who wrote Edward Scissorhands? What? <laughs> and and Nightmare Before Christmas. What? Yeah, this movie has weird person like cachet. Damn it! Yeah. But it is also yes adapted from a 1911 novel mm-hmm. about you know a, an orphan girl who has to go live in the big scary manor house and oh discoveries and secrets and hidden rooms and hidden this and people ever mistreating children just through massive neglect this should just it should be called neglect the movie like these kids are just on their fucking own yeah it also has that moral that i really love in all films all illnesses can be solved if you just believe yeah yeah uh, it's well, it's amazing. But he's not how... sick though. That's the thing. His family has like Munchausen's by proxy or something. He's not actually sick. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you should assume kids are like... sick if if they think they're sick. If people say they're sick, you should generally trust them until it becomes obvious. It's just I grew up with asthma, 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I watched a lot of these films and there were numerous times when I was just like, okay, I don't have asthma. I don't have asthma. Oh. And then I'd go out and I'd like push myself and I'd like hack and like not be able to breathe. Mm. That's my issue. But, you know, that's where I come to these movies with. Right. But, but, but uh, I remember I remember this mm-hmm. being like not as kiddie a movie as most kid movies. Yeah. Uh, it, it's and I was looking at it's one of the better reviewed movies of this year oh, <laughs> actually yeah. the secret garden um it's appreciated by a ton of people and still is low-key you know women who don't create websites that fight over everything <laughs> maybe we're not hearing about how great the secret garden is yeah there's but... another one i do tend to get confused with a little princess which... yeah, yes which yeah. i've watched all the time <laughs> right which they're they're both sort of like classy english countryside set movies that are for kids but also have like important messages and kind of scary shit and mm-hmm. grown-ups can watch too and don't talk down to children like i so many people have said like this is a movie i love share i loved it when i was a kid i shared it with my kids you know but, yeah it's a children's movie that does not talk down to them but mm. oh yeah i'll put an asterisk on <laughs> jr said if there's a kid using a wheelchair maybe you shouldn't try to make him walk <laughs> but it works out for them because okay. yeah yeah it's Parents are just so afraid. Well, his dad is so afraid of losing him that they just kind of lock him up and he doesn't have a life. And like, yeah, all y'all need to go to jail. God, <laughs> I, I'm sure the British police will get right on the job of arresting <laughs> the rich British lord for not treating his child right. That's going to be their number one priority. God, these assholes took over the world. How'd they do that? All right, all right. And then rounding out the for me category. (laughs) Yeah, the secret garden, I should say. It's only like 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I've read a bunch of articles about how this is, yeah, what children's entertainment should be. And then. This is almost, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, the worst performing film of an 11 film series. Uh, Yeah, second to last, I believe. Stephen Culp, Aaron Gray, Kane Hodder. Is that giving it away? John LeMay. Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. Horror has many faces, but pure evil wears only one. And this is your final chance to see it. Jason goes to hell the final Friday. Rated R. Lies. (laughs) About as final as Final Fantasy. Yes. Final (laughs) Fantasy is a fantastic comparison because I was looking at this film series you get one like every 18 months in the 80s, less in the 90s, and now you get one a decade or less. And that's where the Friday the 13th series is. Not that this is a Friday the 13th movie because they can't legally call it that. Yeah, that was very interesting to learn that because we have two Jason it's movies. Unbelievable. And this one is why we have the second one because Paramount owned Friday the 13th. And Jason Takes Manhattan did so badly that they sold off. Everything about Friday the 13th except the title to I, New that's, Line. That's what I couldn't get clear. Like, but, I think they may have licensed it, and they right. still kind of own those movies. They might have licensed Jason and the concepts. Right. It's like there's... everything that's in them, but they, they Paramount retains the title Friday the 13th if they want to use that. Yes. But they sell it to New Line, which is a mini major that is known colloquially as the House of Freddy built. Yes. Because those were their first big hits, the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies. So we're yes. setting something up. 
10 years from now. It's sort of the opposite. And if, you, if you're a member of our Patreon, patreon.com slash laser time, we do a whole series on this. And there is a fascinating 10 years of basically what we're going to get to in the next segment. Because 10 years from the day of this is Freddy versus Jason. That's what everybody involved in the Friday the 13th movies wanted to do. Sean Cunningham, the original director, is here producing. He's trying to get Freddy versus Jason off the ground. Because they think, like, there's not... This slasher genre thing is kind of dead anyway. And this is sort of proof mm-hmm. of that, at least in, in terms of like audience reception. <sighs> and I uh, mean, so kind of. So the first film made 7,000% its budget. Yep. <laughs> okay. The previous film to this one made 300% of its budget. It's, it, and wow. they it's, sold the franchise because of that. They were like, 300%. Take this garbage out yeah. of here. I mean, yeah. you, if that's everyone the one everyone this. hates that movie, too. If, everyone if, if hates that. If you read Jason about the history of, of the movie, like, remember when Friday the 13th 1 came out, like, Paramount is a couple years off Godfather 2. They deeply <laughs> resent <laughs> the, the success of this film, and they, they hate making them, or so they claim. It's just not something that's cool in Hollywood. You make a shitty, low-budget movie that constantly turns a profit, but it's not the kind of, like, this will change our studio profit. It's just guaranteed to make a bit of a profit. It, it's not hundreds of millions of dollars of Godfather profit is what I'm saying, mm. or Top Gun profit. So, the, so Paramount kind of resents these movies. And they, you could say they get worse and worse, but they get more and more fun. And what I really like about the Friday series, especially when you watched it all in the row for Elm Street Nightmare, is that it starts off as a 70s movie switches at part four to an 80s movie and this is our first 90s jason okay but do you know what year this takes place in oh shit i used to uh what year 2003 (laughs) okay here here's the reason diana i am so So, confused so this takes place in 2003 but freddie versus jason actually comes out in 2003 yes yes which means it takes okay, place so after 2003. In, in the Friday the 13th <laughs> films, they were like, uh, it's four years later, but they filmed it one year later. It's two years later. They filmed it one year later. And then sometimes they were like, it's one month later. But if you do the math on canonically, when they say each film takes place. Oh, I see. Then this film takes place in the year 2003. But that's that's why this this is hysterical. And this movie is... In my opinion, very not good, hmm. but like it is, we're going to get Scream in just a few years. And that's reflective of, of how much young people continue to love horror movies and talk about them and canonize them. Whereas the movies themselves barely did any of that. They constantly contradict themselves, Oh, both Freddy and Jason. This was like made by the people who made the original two. And looking into it, the person who made this had only watched Friday 1 and Friday 2. Yeah, and they had watched none of the other films. It's, it's rumored it, Cunningham hated the mask. Can we get rid of this yeah. hockey mask? <laughs> like, I just yeah, and, and and they kind of do because this is a possession film. Jason is possessing people, and so they're like stripping away every iconic part of Jason because they do not care, and that amazes me. Okay, listeners, when I was making my film, I read one hundred Jack Chick tracks. Okay. <laughs> It is finished. <laughs> I That was far more research than I should ever do on that subject. But I did it because I was like, no, I'm going to capture this. And these people are with a franchise that had had so many films that was in the nine digits of uh, gross. 
And they were just like, no, I'm not even going to watch the previous ones. I'm just going to make shit up. I do not understand that mindset. It, <laughs> it is, is it, well, alien. They, they, they don't care. And also, like, it's, here's it's you great... should care. Though. I know, I know. I mean... But it's like, here's the thing. Like, it's I, I, what am I going to call this? The He-Man principle where, where people are making stuff for young people, but they're like 50 and they kind of don't give a shit that much. This is like the first Jason movie made by a fan of Jason. So the, a great attempt is make made to try and like let's make some rules here about what jason is and how he gets his power because if you know if you didn't listen to elm street nightmare jason doesn't become jason until part six <laughs> that's when he becomes an indestructible monster you know because lightning and <laughs> and uh you know like maybe this is a spoiler are we doing elm street nightmare again for sure we have to at this point jr it's almost we're almost done with it uh yeah there is Okay, listeners, there's uh, five Elm Street nightmares in the can right now. So mm -hmm. we're recording those in advance for you. So there will be an Elm Street nightmare about... this year about the Evil Dead. The Evil Dead. Hey, listeners, we are doing the Evil Dead franchise this year for Elm Street Nightmare. We are going to be covering the Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, Ash versus the Evil Dead, the Evil Dead 2013 and Evil Dead Rise, which we haven't recorded yet, but we will. And guess what? In this film, there's the motherfucking Necronomicon. What? And, and, and the, the dagger. So what? The Kendari dagger. Yeah. Like, he's a new coming director. He was taken off of my boyfriend's back and put on this movie. <laughs> okay. And he lit according to legend, he calls Sam Raimi. And they both they both know to like officially work this out. It would take yet more legal paperwork, which has kept these movies held up for a really long time. So, like, they were like, don't tell anybody. Sam Raimi and KMBFX give over the real Necronomicon and the real dagger. And that they're used in this movie. And, he, like, the director's like, no, I was trying to imply that Jason is an evil dead deadite. That's what his mother did. That's how she I made mean, him immortal. That would, that would explain a lot of his powers. But I don't think Jason needed that explanation. You know, this film does try to get into like all these magical powers and i don't think that's what jason is about because i think the filmmakers fundamentally do not understand why people like the character i, of I jason. think after eight he, movies he's people a have dumb bear people have accepted <laughs> what jason is and have some expectation of him so him possessing bodies only to like watch them melt after like a video gamey expiration date fucking body degradation for fuck's sake uh unless yeah. as this movie establishes it's a Voorhees family member because apparently that's important for the first time in nine movies. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's got a sister and a bloodline that comes out of nowhere that has been mentioned nowhere in the previous films. Okay. It does, have, it does have the highest body count. I think tied with film we'll get to, but 23 people die. Goodness. You know what is my big problem with this film, though? What? This movie promises us that Jason is yeah. going to go to hell, right? Yeah, it's kind of the title. What, what do we see of Jason? <laughs> it's kind of the name of the yeah. movie. Jason goes to hell. Colon Jason, the final Jason, Friday. It, it'd be like it'd be like calling it uh, Jim Carrey's Truman goes to New York. Like, and all you see is him walk out a door at the end. And like, <laughs> when does he go to New York? Uh, like, well, he does after he walks out the door. And like, but that, that, that again, that's the weird thing that's <laughs> happening behind the scenes. All New Line wants to do is line up Freddy versus Jason. They think that is the future of the Ooh. series. And Paramount's sort of like. Yeah, you can take her character and cross them over. We don't have to do shit. You pay us. Good. Do that. But it, there's even before the Victor Miller, Sean Cunningham stuff, there's all these legal entanglements. And then Wes Craven comes back simultaneously to make Wes Craven's new nightmare. And that that's why this movie exists, because 
well, you can't do Freddy versus Jason yet because whatever Wes Craven might do, we might have a new series on our hands where we'll, it's on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Lady Time. We'll talk about it next year. Wes Craven is rebooting the Freddy series. The performance of both of these movies delays Freddy versus Jason even further. Uh, <laughs> a decade to the day of this movie, uh, almost to the day of this movie. It's 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 heartbreaking to watch because of how like you know now that i know friends with all these teenage kids like these characters still work and are beloved in ways that other old films do not they love these characters and they're i all the red tape jason is caught up in is so bizarre so my daughter unsolicited by me you know i try not to foist my pop culture preferences on my kids i do a little because i'm human but I, i don't like shovel every last thing i watched on them unsolicited she asked to see uh, the hockey mask movies. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where she heard of that because I'm not a huge Jason fan. You know, I've watched yeah, them all. I think but it's sort I'm... of like, like me as a little kid seeking out the universal horror movies. Just like, dude, this is a character everybody seems to know about and I want to know more. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll endure something cheesy and black and white if it's horror. I'll, hell yeah, I'll take it. And and then fell, found these and never cared again until I was much older about universal horror characters. <laughs> I've been yelled at by some friends who just fucking love this movie. I really, I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm more I'm more disappointed just because like the Friday the Thirteenth movies were always cheap, but they were like you know consistent. They delivered on exactly what you wanted, and they're all. But this is like cheap in a different way, like a Stephen King movie brought in a turnaround and then brought about by the Sci Fi Channel. That's what this feels like. But it is like Jason's only 90s movie. It is 90s as fuck. And like a completely different film style. See, I think Jason should stay 80s. I I know he was in the late 70s, but I really think it should always be a period piece in the 1980s going forward. And speaking of that, the game is going to be shutting down soon. And I don't know if Jason has a future. It's well, it, like allegedly, there's Camp Crystal Lake coming to Peacock with Brian Fuller of Hannibal fame bringing a Jason show up. I'm like this could, because that's the thing. This should, this is a character that should be treated much better than it is, given how how it's penetrated all these generation generational zeitgeist. And I was like, oh shit, they're giving it to Brian Fuller. This show has been happening for like two, three fucking years. And yeah. <laughs> where is it? I don't, and like, uh, no, we got the rights to everything. It's all good. I looked it up, and like, I, there's still no release date. But Peacock is moving. It's still moving forward at Peacock. LeBron James has a remake of Friday the Thirteenth coming sometime, somewhere. It's all ethereal, and the lawsuit is tying everything up. It's so weird that this like dumb, like what did you call him? A fucking murderous bear character. <laughs> yeah, needs so it, many lawyers dumb to get bear. anything done. There's so many lawyers required required to get this character on screen, and it, it gets held up again. Because I remember we saw this. This might have been the first Jason movie we saw in theaters. I think it was, but we were. It was like the fifty cent theater, and we switched. You know, bought a ticket to something else, went mm-hmm. to this. But the first Jason movie I get to see in theater, it's a big deal. We were obsessed with these as a kid, and it just wasn't a Jason movie. They had to go back and reshoot more traditional like camper killings in the beginning that those are reshoots without the director because it didn't have enough of them because this movie is fucking weird if you're if you're expecting a jason movie even jason x is more jason than jason goes to hell yeah i mean again we already talked about the possessing and whatnot that's just not what you think of as jason and jason is too smart when he's possessing people that's not his character that he's not like this no it's it's methodical it's bizarre and I, i couldn't help but think of halloween ends like that new Halloween trilogy that like everybody loved the first one. 
people were mixed in the second one. Universally hated is the third one for a similar <laughs> possession type plot than this that kind of it because it opens so cool like with the idea like all right this is no longer a legend in some new jersey woods the whole world is aware of this jason problem and the fbi has captured him in a sting fucking dope (laughs) give me that there's a bounty hunter after jason fucking dope and none of that is really used very well at all (laughs) it's just a very low budget movie and very disappointing but i don't hate it and it's fucking fascinating but uh kind of resented having to watch it again since i watched it like just four years ago (laughs) (laughs) flooded with the same feelings like this isn't what i wanted and then to have freddie appear at the end yeah by a glove the thing that i knew the most about this was that it's called jason goes to hell he only that that's the end of the movie (laughs) he goes to hell at the end of the movie and then with freddie's glove comes out from yeah. also from hell yeah. to tease it and then the let's, next movie was not let's that. Play it's, that clip it's fucking him in space all right here's the mask it's on the ground oh everything's fine Uh <laughs> claude hand i think robert england said that was one of his largest and easiest paychecks like I, his, <laughs> his laugh appears in the movie and he got paid so i would say that that one clip fueled the playground discussion because <laughs> I did hear a lot of that on the playground. I heard like, Oh my gosh, uh, Freddie and Jason are going to meet. It's going to happen next year. And there were all these rumors and all this bullshit. And of course we'll talk about it in 10 years. Yeah. The 10, the 10 years to get there is so fraught. It's just unbelievable, especially with like, that's all <laughs> major motion pictures are doing now is trying to build up to the crossover. They have it planned in advance, and everybody wants to do it, but it can't happen for, like, 20 reasons. This movie is what you get in the meantime. It's better than nothing, but barely. I, I feel like I enjoy Jason X more than Jason Goes to Hell. Well, that just can't be fun. That is far yeah. more fun well, than this So time. why was that next? I would be so disappointed. Because and it's a because, long time to wait, too. It's another, what, eight years? Because Wes Craven's new Nightmare will come out next year and perform about as bad as this. Uh, and so, and, and I think uh, they lost Mike DeLuca, who was, like, the guy who created New Line and kind of loved Freddy. And, yeah, he wasn't there to champion the movie, so it just took even longer. Uh, but they got to make Jason X in the meantime because you bought this fucking character. You bought Jason Voorhees. Use him. And they do three times. Do yeah, you think that, they could ever do an Avengers of 80s horror you know just have know one film have with Jason Chucky Freddy Pinhead it's utterly Michael Myers they haven't I just don't I don't get it because like every every series kind of does that eventually and every series kind of have even if it's unofficial like what's there's that black exploitation movie where they're not using their characters names but it's like you know Fred Brown and Pam Greer Expendables uh end game like you, you always see this and like it, it should fucking happen because uh whatever they're doing now is gonna end or peter out anyway anyway yeah jason goes to hell i don't know i i again i got the ton of shit from friends who love it but like i don't like it very much didn't like it as a kid and don't like it now but it's if you want to see them all it's fascinating <laughs> and i i very much recommend that, not skipping it if you're watching it all because it does have some fun kills and stuff in it it just feels fucking cheap man anyway moving on to television in 1993 what south beach and ba- dave's big big wave dave's <laughs> episodes are the only new tv at all this week uh witness yeah so stages of marshall so we we talked about uh big wave dave's last week and god damn listeners is this 
a desert of TV. Okay, <laughs> I looked. There is just nothing. So this was what you got. If you wanted non-rerun, that's it. That's all you get. Mm-hmm. That is all you get. <laughs> and except for the TV movie, Praying Mantis with Jane Seymour, Barry Bostwick, and Chad Allen. <laughs> it's exactly. I wonder with a title like Praying Mantis if, if maybe she's uh, marrying guys and fucking them and killing them. Sure, the lady is very kind. Good uh-huh. cook. Yeah. Uh, Definitely Seymour, not say? physically ripping Barry Bostwick's head off and then eating his oh, body. Boy. No, no. She wouldn't do that. Oh, boy. And then uh, <laughs> moving on to games of 1993, let's cover some Genesis stuff like uh, General Chaos. It's, uh, what's that, South Park sidekick? Oh, that's Professor Chaos. <laughs> uh, General, uh, General so Disarray. This is a... General Disarray. Yeah. Yeah. Professor Chaos and General Disarray. Right. This is a real-time strategy game on the Genesis. You play one uh, brother is named uh, Chaos. And uh, the other brother, they have a feud, and you guys fight it out. And uh, this game has a boot camp tutorial, which was very unusual in 1993. You know, for the most part, games in 1993 were just like, learn, read the manual. But this one was like, okay, we'll we'll walk you through how to play it. And uh, Pirates Gold. Wait, Pirates! Exclamation point. Gold. Is this a different edition of the Pirates game? This is the best version of the Pirates game. I am shocked that a PC game has its far, far superior version on the Sega Genesis. Like, Civilization on the Super Nintendo sucks. This game, they just managed to make it flow. It's an open world game. Uh, You play a pirate, and depending on what year you pick, you pick your difficulty, because if you're early on in the age of piracy, there's not a lot of, uh, not police force, but the naval equivalent of it at the time. Mm -hmm. And if you play the later period, there's going to be all sorts of military forces against you. And it's a really, really fun game. If you ever want to just have a quick and dirty game of what it feels like to be a pirate, this is a good one to play. And uh, the next two games are the ones I feel are majorly important, to, especially to the year they're being released. Jurassic Park on Genesis comes out. And after a semi-disappointing, which is a better game, the ocean top-down Jurassic Park RPG. But this is the Genesis, and it's realistic sprites, full riverboat scene, <laughs> playing as Dr. Grant and killing dinosaurs, and a pretty shitty side-scroller at this point. But uh, he had a T-Rex head that looked awesome. 100% agree, but I had read the novel, and I was like, I love that movie. Jurassic Park was the best movie ever. Why the fuck didn't they include the river scene? That would have been awesome. <laughs> and I heard that this had the river scene. I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to play it. And I was just like, oh, man. Well, and also for Friday the 13th fans, there was only one or two games that ever came out at that point for Friday the 13th, but that didn't stop Namco's Splatterhouse from pretty much looking like Friday the 13th, the game, the Jason Voorhees, very violent horror game. Splatterhouse 3 debuts on Genesis later in America this week, but yeah, it had been out for a yeah. while. And I don't know if video game apocalypse have ever done an episode on hockey mask wearing in video games. Uh, I want to say after 500 episodes, we should have, but maybe we have not. <laughs> Because, by God, was that a trope. I mean, they were everywhere. And this was just like, how did you not get sued? That is so (laughs) obviously, Jason, I guess you can't copyright a hockey mask, but it seems like you should. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure the screen people somehow managed to keep that mask, like, out of the complete public domain, but I have no idea. And then a rare book for 30 years ago, Without Remorse by Tom Clancy. Yeah, so this is not a Jack Ryan book. Uh, This is a... 
John Kelly book. John Kelly uh-huh. is the get shit done operative the more cerebral character of Tom Clancy's. John Kelly is the one who's just, you know, I'm an agent, I'm a wet work expert, that's what I do. His wife is, she dies in a brutally described car crash. I mean, he does not hold anything back. It is just like, eek. And then he goes on uh, a series of adventures and rampaging revenge. And there's a scene that has stuck with me for 30 years. Okay, um, do you know what, happens to divers when they come up too fast yes oh no guy who passed like that yeah oh yeah it it is like one of the most painful ways you can die i would if if that ever happened to me i would chew open my wrist with my teeth (laughs) rather than experience the bends that is just horrible and there's a scene in this book where john kelly puts this really really bad guy in a deep diver pressure room It's meant to simulate deep pressure. And then he just brings him up and brings him down. And it is probably the most brutal literary scene I've ever read. It is just yeek. Tom Clancy, huge seller, sold a ton of books. No military experience, by the way. Didn't work for the government. Uh, Just an insurance salesman who read a lot, made some uh, reasonable deductions of what could be done. And suffered from bloat. And this book could use an editor. Every Tom Clancy book, except for Hunt for Red October, could have used an editor. But Hunt for Red October became such a huge success that he never put up with an editor again. And that's one of those things where I just was like, "Mm, I know you're a huge seller. You could have been better. Yeah, we're at the point where his name is bigger than the title's name on the cover. Yeah. So It's it's, it's why I only experience Tom Clancy once he's assigned a director. Then you cut out all the crap. <laughs> yeah. um, well, this, I mean, they tried to make this as a movie for 20-something damn years. And uh, everybody, Christopher McQuarrie was on it for a long time. All kinds of people were on it. And I, I was like, didn't, didn't someone actually make it? Oh, yeah, in 2021, they came out on Amazon with Michael B. Jordan. And no one liked actually, it. Actually, holy shit. Uh, Tom Clancy, I was, Christopher McQuarrie, this is not a bad role for Tom Cruise to step into as he, if he ages out of Mission Impossible. Hmm. You can easily see him Harrison Ford hmm. again. Anyway, moving on to music of 1993, uh, August 11th through, what is it? Math, math, math. 17th. 18th, 17th. Can't Help Fall in Love by Ubisoft, and music is still number one. <laughs> what? Ubisoft? Oh, UB, UB40, my bad. <laughs> uh, to have too many tabs open. Other new releases include Break Things by All, Liberation by the Divine Comedy, Bloody Kisses by Type O Negative, Earth versus the Wild Hearts by the Wild Hearts, everything the debut of, the debut of Joe! Uh, Over My Heart by Laura Branigan, Rise by Bad Brains, uh, Transitional Speedway League, Anthems, Anecdotes, and Undeniable Truths by Clutch, and The World is Yours by Scarface. However, Whoop There It Is by Tag Team is number two on the charts this week. I believe this is the preferred <sighs> Whoop in my neck of the woods. We we can discuss it, the various sounds, onomatopoeias, there it is <laughs> later on in the show actually it's not to be confused with woot not woot this is whoop. Whoop. if you can make a successful jock jam you have musical <laughs> immortality yeah. how many times have you heard this at a sports game i mean it's like who else plays gary glitter like just yeah. stadiums <laughs> it's, it, it can't be replaced yeah, but we'll close out with Woomp There It Is by Tag Team. You know which one it is because they, they name-check themselves in the song. Can't be confused. So we'll close out with that. But it won't be the end of our There It Is discussion, so stay tuned for that. Tag team.
came back again. Check it directed, let's begin. Party on, party people, let me hear some noise. DC's in the house, jump, jump, rejoices. There's a party over here, a party over there. Wave your hands in the air, shake the dairy, yeah. These three words mean you're getting busy. Whoop, there it is, hit me. Coming in 2003 with uh, Troubled Times by Midnight Syndicate from the official soundtrack to D&D, the game produced by Wizards of the Coast. Yes, if you have ever played Dungeons & Dragons without (laughs) playing this at the exact same time, you are failing. Failing. (laughs) Yeah, you'll never know how your game matches up like uh, Pink Floyd to Wizard of Oz. This is how it's supposed to be. And that's the 10 years after the creation of Magic the Gathering, so you're welcome, nerds. And in 2023, there's actually... Yeah. There's a ton of apps these days that if you're looking for mood music for your D&D game, it's incredibly easy to find. And yeah. uh, it really does help, honestly. Just I mean, type in uh, movies have Spotify. scores for a reason and you can score your D&D game. Just type into your Spotify R-U-S-H and you should have the perfect D&D score with a little rush. <laughs> uh, but it's not going to have tracks like <laughs> Stealth and Cunning or Chant of the Wizard. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sure? I, Craft I, of the Wizard. I'm sorry. I said the rush. Wizard's billing something. Layer of the Great Wyrm with a Y. Welcome to 20 years ago, uh, August 11th through the 17th. Other new music releases include Canada Songs by Daughter, Trigonometry by uh, Onyx. This is Meant to Hurt You by These Arms Are Snakes. A Mark, a Mission, a Brand, a Scar by Dashboard Confessional. Calm down, Dashboard. And Go, the most recent album by Pat Benatar. Crazy in Love by Beyonce featuring Gizzy. Number one. A little bit of news to remind you what's happening 20 years ago in the world. NATO takes over command of the peacekeeping force in Afghanistan, marking its first major operation outside Europe in its 54-year history. You will know them from how they're dressed like Guile from the Street Fighter movie. Yeah. Um, it's bright blue. You know them because they're in the North Atlantic for their organization of their treaty in mm. Afghanistan. Because they're a North Atlantic treaty organization. Yeah. Oh. That makes sense. Got it. Can we Let's... talk about horror movies for fuck's sake? Well, uh... <laughs> we're going to get to talk about horror movies. We've got to get through a couple <laughs> movies first. Let's talk about an Australian movie about something I just listened to a podcast about. Okay. Remake this movie because it sounds like they didn't do a very good job this time, but mm. it sounds likable enough. And it's a great cast. But not many Australians. Rose uh, Byrne, Portia Del Rossi, Melanie Griffith, Joel Edgerton, Dennis Hopper, all the way, a.k.a. the night we called it a day. Yeah. So in the 70s... <laughs> Frank Sinatra went on a tour of Australia where he basically became held hostage by the entire country. So he landed and he called a reporter a two-dollar whore. And all of the trade unions were so insulted that, yes, through the power of unions, they shut that shit down. And he became basically trapped in the country. He, his, he couldn't get room service. He couldn't get his room cleaned. So he's already at the hotel, but he can't leave because (laughs) the guys who work at the airport aren't going to gas up his jet and no other airline's (laughs) going to take him until he apologizes. All of Australia held Frank Sinatra hostage. (laughs) It sounds amazing. Sounds like a like to spend some time in Australia. 
Do you want to? I maintain that this film does not exist. Mm. I have tried to mm. find this film. Mm-hmm. No luck. No. Diana, where were you able to watch it? I did not watch it. <laughs> okay. I just I had right. heard a podcast about this incident like a month or two ago, and then I saw this was coming up, and I was like, oh, cool, they made a movie of it. I can't find it fucking anywhere. I used a VPN to go to so, so it looked like I was in Australia to try to find this movie, and I still could not find it. And I am bummed because Dennis Hopper's Frank Sinatra sounds kind of funny. That sounds amazing. So someone remake this. And then also uh, what a movie we wish didn't exist. Joy yeah. Kern, Vince Villoff, Adam Brody, and uh, Mike Vogel in Grind, this skate-tastic coming-of-age film <laughs> with half the cast of Jackass in it. It is like a fictionalized Jackass. I don't think I have ever seen a split. One of my favorite things on Rotten Tomatoes is that you have the audience score and the critic score. And when you have a low critic score and a high audience score, that means the movie is big, dumb fun. And I have never seen a split where it's like 7% critics and like 80% audience. <laughs> like the critics are all saying, we do this for a living. This movie sucks. And everyone's like, yeah, but they're skateboarding. It's funny. It, it, it is known for like it put cinematic skateboard stunts in a narrative film in a way that hadn't really happened before. So yeah. I a, a polite way of us saying your mileage may vary. If you like that sort of thing, it's about like a bunch of guys who want to be pro skaters and they like follow pro skaters on a tour and try to impress them with their sick ass tricks. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm sorry, sir. Your trick is too sick. <laughs> Everyone starts <laughs> vomiting. And uh, <laughs> well, what about Heather Locklear, Dakota Fanning, Brittany Murphy in Uptown Girls? Pretty much the exact same situation. Oh. Wait. When a rock and roll princess loses everything. What do I do about money? Get a job. There will be big changes. You're my new nanny. Little problems. Ah! The agency must really be getting desperate. And the things. I quit. You never see coming. Ringing door. Brittany Murphy. How badly can she screw it up? Uptown Girls. I've got potential. Starts Friday at theaters every. That's exactly the music you expect to hear from a movie called Uptown Girls. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's whatever. Oh, she shouldn't be a nanny. That kid is too serious and wise for her years. Wacky. Forces her to grow up it over the course of 90 minutes. Forces her to grow up over the course of 90 minutes. Yeah, no, movie, not so great. Brittany Murphy, so adorable in it, though. Like the whole movie, I'm just sitting there going, like, I don't like this, but gosh, she's just really good at physical comedy. She's just so many goofy pratfalls and stuff. And it's like, damn, she just, yeah. 13% on Rotten Tomatoes, with notable exception of Roger Ebert, who compares Brittany Murphy to Lucille Ball as a oh, yeah, redhead. Yeah. Mm. Physical, I see physical that. Comedian a, actress. Yeah, with sort of big, big facial expressions. And yeah. It was it was cute. I mean, I can't recommend it, but yeah, if this show has taught me anything is that I did not appreciate Brittany Murphy when we had her yeah, at all. Oh, she is so cute in this. <laughs> Didn't but... know she was doing A plus work on King of the Hill. Just wasn't no, nope. wasn't paying attention. <laughs> no, so yeah, it was cute. It was fun. I didn't feel like I wasted. I didn't feel as insulted by the end of it. Like some of these movies I watch, and I'm like, well, you just insulted my intelligence movie. I hate you. This yeah, was like, there's, there's a lot yeah, of at least that, I got some chuckles, especially from the oh threes where it's like, you all know this is bad. and You're trying to trick people into seeing it. And it just <laughs> disappears forever yep. because it will not have 10 years of uh, cable play to prolong its legacy. Yep. Such is sort of the case with a movie that got great reviews. James Russo, Diego Luna, 
Michael Gambon, uh, and Annette Benning, Kevin Costner, and Robert Duvall in open range. It'll happen fast once I start. Pull your pistol and make a run for that building. Sounds like you got it all worked out. Yeah, except the part where we don't get killed. Robert Duvall, Kevin Costner, Annette Benning. Justice is worth fighting for. You're the one killed our friend. That's right. Open Range, directed by Kevin Costner. Rated R. So, Kevin Costner's back, baby. Kevin Costner is back. His first movie since The Postman that he directed. It is odd if you're only listening to the show and living in 2023, like, was there a time we forgot about Kevin Costner? Because now I read about him what feels like more than ever. (laughs) Yeah, this is like no one had heard from Kevin Costner for a while. Mm -hmm. And this came out as small, little revisionist Western movie and amazing review. I tried to watch it even before the show, like a few weeks ago, and it was a little slow for my taste. It, see, they call it a revisionist Western. I don't feel like it is. I feel like this is an, a very traditional Western. And yeah, it's, it's <laughs> we keep running into movies where I call them the best movie in 1953. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with a couple quick edits, you could have run this in 1953 and it, it played pretty well. It's it's a solid western though. It really uh, it's been a while. There there we have very yeah. few few and far between westerns and ones that are like solid like this. Yeah, slow. Not gonna pretend it's not because I mean, what's the conflict? They want to run their cattle on the open range and the guy is putting up barbed wire and stopping them and being mean. Oh no. <laughs> Well, no, that was a huge thing. There were cattle wars of the 1880. You can find that in any history book. The introduction of the barbed wire, it seems like something we're like, oh, that's just how things are. No, it was a Mm -hmm. technological change that radically affected, you know, millions of square miles of land. And yeah, there were definite wars where real people died because of the introduction of barbed wire. Yep. And I just, I I like that. You know, it's it's old timey cowboy stuff, but also like, oh, look, there's some diversity. There's like an Irish guy and Mexican dudes. And like, yeah, no, we they're not all white guys with no tan whatsoever. They sit outside all day. They're all fucking rugged. They all look like Robert Duvall when they're 30, for fuck's sake. And yeah, it's Cassie but, Andor as well. You can't be yeah, got Cassie Andor in there <laughs> and um, really good shootout at the end. Like. Yeah, I, I, I just went back and watched the shootout because I was like, this is, you know, Kevin Costner has made many mistakes uh, and some of his directing is, eh, but mm-hmm. that scene is put together really well. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, recommendation for open range if you like Westerns, I think. If you don't like Westerns, I think it might be too slow to convert you. I really thought it was like a fuck you. This is a Western. This isn't a <laughs> We're not not even like Unforgiven. We're sort of telling the story of a genre years after the genre has been popular. This is like, no, this is an old traditional Western. Mm-hmm. This way uh, this ends the way a Gary Cooper movie would have ended. Yeah, exactly. Hey, do you want to see Shane too? Shane Harder? Here you go. Yeah. A a... Shane. <laughs> Low down, dirty Shane. Dirty Shane. <laughs> Yeah, he's uh, a very, very old school Western, but a good one. Because there's some that they just fuck it up. They don't know what they're doing. They're like, we want to make a traditional Western. And and it's just boring. They don't do anything to explain why we would want to watch a Western in the first place. And this one's like, oh, okay, I get it. Clash of Civilizations. Yeah. Cool. And as we know now, the type of thing that 
Kevin Costner only wants to do <laughs> for the most part. Yeah, you want to see this as some sort of prequel to Yellowstone? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> or or his, his TV show Hatfields and the McCoys. Like the dude has been like in this world. I, and I think he's rich enough to say no to stuff. He just really likes this field. Look, motherfucker looks good in a hat. He does. I can't wear a cowboy <laughs> well, hat. I look really stupid. You do. I I look like <laughs> it's not even like it's Halloween. Like I look like a hooker at Halloween. I look terrible. I can't wear <laughs> a cowboy hat convincingly. Oh. Okay, but now for the oh the movie I want to talk about the most. Yes, I I because I I kind of didn't bother with either of these movies this week because I thought I'd just sit back, let the experts guide me on this because y'all know a lot more about these series than I do. Yeah, again, like, I wish I could make you sit in real time for 10 agonizing years from Jason Goes to Heck to right now. Jason Ritter, Monica Kina, Ken Kurzinger, uh, Robert Englund, and that Destiny Child lady. Because Ken Kurzinger instead of Kane Hodder. Right. Because Um, he's taller. Yes. (laughs) That's why. (laughs) It was very important. It's number one at the box office, which is... It's a distinction. Any of these, uh, the, what, how many, what is it, 16, 17 other films leading up to this? Um, almost as many as Endgame, for real. It's Freddy versus Jason. For generations, they have been the two biggest names in terror. He may get the blood, but I'll get the glory. Freddy's coming back. And this summer, for the first time ever. She's mine! Two legends will come together. It's time to put this bad dog to sleep. Oh, God! Freddy vs. Jason. Winner kills all. Rated R. <laughs> and they do. Or they did. I don't know. I'm sure this so, will be decanonized at some point. <laughs> Attempts to write this film started in 1987. Yep. Uh, they spent... Almost like somewhere around ten million dollars just writing the script for this over the course of over a decade. Oh my god! And, and the big problem was finding a reason for them to fight. Yeah. I mean, that shouldn't have been that big of an impediment. It's like I, they're two horrible monsters. I do would they, argue. How I, complex it, a reason do you need? Because if you had, if you've listened to the discourse of the wonderfully enjoyable, nonetheless, Freddy Two, when you break the rules of these characters, they both play on different playing fields that they both shouldn't exist in, technically. And I think, I think this the script is a stroke of brilliance in how they get these characters together. It's it's amazing. Okay. Freddy's domain is dreams. Jason doesn't have a brain, but apparently he does, <laughs> because Freddy in like is is. It's awesome, Diana. How does mm-hmm. Freddy attack people? Through their dreams, right? right? And in order to attack people through their dreams, people have to like kind of know who he is. So they hypnosil, a medication made up for this movie, mm-hmm. the children of the town into forgetting Freddy exists and keep a generation from dreaming. And sometimes in, <laughs> yes, to, to put the whole myth of Freddy to rest so that no one thinks about him again. So Freddy has to infiltrate Jason's dream, manufactured dreams starring Pamela Voorhees, his mother. And tell him, you need to get up and you need to go to fucking Elm Street right now and start tearing ass because people are going to forget about you. I, me, I mean, Freddie, I mean, Jason, they're going to forget about <laughs> you. And it's awesome. On, on they, they both get to fuck around on each other's playing field. And it's awesome to see, man, that Freddie takes Jason in a dream to fight him. And it's like no contest outside of a dream. 
Jason is a lot bigger. Kane Hodder doesn't return. The movie's directed by uh, Ronnie Yu, who had made the wonderful Bride of Chucky. Uh -huh. I don't know where Child's Play would be if not for Ronnie Yu's Bride of Chucky. That movie is phenomenal. And any other way you would have taken Chucky, I'm not sure I would have been interested. But Bride of Chucky ruled. And I think this is great, too. Because uh, if you're following just Jason, you got movies in the 70s movies, 80s movies. You got 190s movies. And here you have the most 2000s movie to ever exist. <laughs> Half the soundtrack are WWE games. <laughs> it is awesome. It is awesome. And it's, uh, it, 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 I think it packs a real satisfying story while respecting both lores. Not necessarily the movies that came beforehand, because a lot of that gets retconned or just ignored. But getting these two characters on screen, I thought they did a great fucking job. And they do it fast. Hmm. So one of the rejected ideas to get them on screen together was that Freddy was a counselor at Camp Crystal Lake who <laughs> let Jason die. No, thank you. Mm. And I think, what the fuck? How would he have been that, that young? Freddie mm. was murdering children like in the in the goddamn 60s. Mm, maybe he, uh, he the mm. counselors didn't save Jason because they were too busy being murdered by Freddie. So it's Freddie's fault. This could be. They, <laughs> Elm Street could lead right up to Crystal Lake. We have no idea, really. But Yeah. I mean, it's it's odd that. OK, so just reading the synopsis, did not watch the movie. So a lot of it beginning bit is Freddie using Jason to terrorize people. Yeah. Until he gets jealous of Jason getting all the credit. Right. Because the idea was to remind Elm Street people there's a fucking monster out there and remind them of the name Freddy Krueger so he could end up haunting the dreams of the, the Elm Street uh, children. Now, how and is Jason going to tell them Freddy Krueger sent me? I don't know. I'm not sure what he <laughs> tried before this. Like, I'm sure he could have just possessed a regular person on the edge and not, not an unstoppable killing machine like Jason Voorhees, who is not seen in hell in the beginning. But mm. it's an awesome exposed heart and lungs, like from really fun effects in here. And it's like it is up until like, what would you call it? The Saw era, kind of the bloodiest thing I've ever seen shoot straight to number one at the box office. And this way outgrosses everything either of them have ever done separately. And mm -hmm. I, I'm more shocked than anything. Like Freddie and Jason fans together apart don't hate this film. It was well received, not well, necessarily by critics. Freddie fans think there's too much Jason. Jason fans think there's too much Freddy. So that <laughs> probably means they, they did their job. Yeah, you know? it probably means you're both right. And this should have been followed up upon because Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th movies weren't meant to be number one at the box office and rarely ever were. But this was. That they never tried again is well, the plan. Insane. The plan was for them to revitalize both series. Mm -hmm. This was never meant to be, and now it's going to be Freddy versus Jason until the end of time. This was meant to right. be, and now Freddy and Jason are popular, and they can do their own shtick for a while. And that's that's sort of, that's also what's shocking and commendable about this movie when you you see a property resurrected like this like it's these two things coming together you always get some other stuff in tow but no 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 Chucky no Michael Myers it is just focused on Freddy versus Jason I'm just reminded of like it's the Rescue Rangers movie and that movie was like oh. this is the 90s animation movie and has <laughs> South Park Beavis and Butthead characters Darkwing <laughs> Duck it's insane. That's that's typically how big crossovers work and like that it's so focused on Freddy versus Jason and uh and, and kind again, of yeah. I think it's about an hour and a half until we actually get to Freddy versus Jason. It's true. It's true, but you can't you can't give them the show right away. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> there's hmm. there there is a lot of time spent in a 
in, in, in a what would you call it a police precinct but that's pretty normal for for nightmare not not necessarily friday but i th- i thought it was awesome i still think it's awesome it's it's almost in inca- you're almost incapable of calling it a horror movie though it is a <laughs> but but a lot of the universal movies were like that too they you could see where the crossover movies werewolf and frankenstein where it's like a drab gothic horror movie until like the very very end where the characters finally said this is it's it's a light horror movie up until these guys start fighting and then i love it so much god <laughs> it's so cool can't am get I, enough of it. am i right in saying that this is 20 years since robert england's played freddy yeah and everything but uh like comic cons where he would show up in full makeup in the probably wow. the goldbergs um, <laughs> Goldberg's, I think, is the last time he keeps saying it's the last time. I, I, I believe him this time. There is a documentary out that I watched about just Robert England. It's hilarious. Him giving uh, the script of Star Wars to his roommate Mark Hamill. <laughs> um, he's he's been around in so many things and found like this massive success as this character he can't really play anymore because he's not really the age appropriate for that. Yeah, but, I was going to say, guys in his 70s, like, let him uh, let him sit down for crying out loud. Don't make him put on the makeup and run around going, ah! Yeah, and he was primarily ideal for the makeup because his face was skinny as fuck. And huh. All right, pitch time. Pitch hey, time. Hey. The Unforgiven of 80s horror movies. <laughs> it's a horror monster who has grown too old to do the horror. Yeah, I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it that there's a fuck. What's that movie behind the mask? Uh, there, there's there's something good in there. Yeah, yeah. When does it? But uh, all these characters reach supernatural status at some point in their in their films. So who's to say? <laughs> even 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 like the Jigsaw guy died in like the third of his nine movies. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know who you put in there. But the yeah, the only unsatisfying thing is that like nobody really wins. Yeah. Jason kind of wins, but then he doesn't because Freddy winks at you. I don't know. It, it's very, very 2000s. Everything is blue all the time and dark. <laughs> and the music is hysterically dated. But I, every time I watch it, I'm like, what the fuck did people want from this that's not on screen? They fight a couple of times. You get Jason kills. You get Freddy kills. It's awesome. Watch this movie. And I don't, again, I, it made like over $100 million at the box office. That's insane. Granted, there there is tens of millions of dollars being dropped on the pre-production of this movie over the course of over a decade. It's pretty good, though, for a Friday the 13th and or uh, uh, Jason movie. And this didn't, in hindsight, I'm saying they didn't go back to it. It's not long after this that both Friday the 13th and Freddy get rebooted mm-hmm. to zero yep. acclaim. Mm-hmm. Zero aplomb yeah. and, no- and nothing happens after that. Nothing. Like we're like 15 years out of the last Friday the 13th movie. That seems nuts because the character feels like it's never been more popular. I don't think that's accurate. No, I don't no? think in 2023 uh, character is that popular. Yeah. No, absolutely. Are you like, no, kid, well, no, yes, but popular. There's, there's, there is more merchandise for Jason and Freddie than I ever There is thought. more merchandise for aging Gen Xers who no. have disposable income. No, 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 no. you got to <laughs> set foot in a Hot Topic or a Spencer's Gifts. Uh, that shit has way more representative stuff on shelves than I have ever seen in my life. Friday the 13th had a, has a popular video game for a couple more weeks, and, and it's only shutting down because of not quality or player base issues because of legal reasons. I would love to see these characters again. I think they're, I think they're still crazy popular. Go to a horror convention. People love this shit. And, and again, like 
you can say it's not popular, but there's been no reason to show that other than an episode of the goddamn Goldbergs. <laughs> Look at the box office on this. I, why didn't they try again after the failed reboots? Go for it one more time. I don't know, man. $30 million yeah. and you make like 120 Yeah, that's yeah. solid return on investment. I really don't know why we didn't get a rematch. We all agree this is better than Aliens versus Predator, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't watched it, but it, yeah. It's better than Batman versus <laughs> Superman. It's better than X versus Sever. Anything <laughs> with the verses in it. So is, is, that's my question. I think this may be, at least in the discussion, for best versus film of all time. It definitely is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah everything love, else I'd I'm thinking it. of is is crap and aliens versus predator has some things in it that i like but i think they whiff them overall so and and that's the nice i'm the nicest person to that movie a lot of people really hate that movie (laughs) yes they do yeah rightly so yeah well it makes a lot of mistakes along the way but yeah i i super dig this and yes kane hodder was unfortunately replaced to get someone taller because robert england's kind of a tall dude and they wanted to help emphasize how Jason was a different character than Freddy. And it does. It's awesome. Like, you can see them in silhouette fighting, and it, it is neat. I, I We all love Kane Hodder here, so it's not shitting on him, but it, I can see why they made the decision. I recommend My thoroughly final, recommended. I recommend it. My final comment on this film is this film shows the dangers of market research because market research, showed that fans wanted a Freddy versus Jason film, and that exact same research showed they wanted it to be PG-13. Uh, and that was considered. That two characters who had only ever been in our films were considered their team-up to be PG-13. Uh, I, I, there's no way market research showed them that. Somebody had to lie. The studio probably wanted that. But I'm, I'm glad they... Yeah, I guess that's another thing that's worth pointing out. It's fucking R. It's full fucking R. You know what? They probably um, get that market research by asking a bunch of 14-year-olds, hey, would you want to see this movie? Oh, yes. This is the first time in I Am 23. Mm-hmm. This is the first Freddy uh, or Jason movie I was legally allowed to see in theaters. And I did <laughs> on day one. I'm pretty, again, I'm pretty sure I saw Jason in theaters. Jason goes to hell in theaters. But yeah, like, imagine that. Imagine that. Like, I grew up on, like, a dozen of these movies. This is the first one I can see in theaters. And the second they gave kids and old people the ability to pay to see these movies in theaters, they fucking did. I just can't believe they let it sit after this. Because the the next thing they were, it was being talked about was throwing ash into the mix. And they eventually did in comics. Hmm. And I really would have liked to have seen that. Thank you very much. I'll, yes, end it there. Let us know what you think. We got a Laser Time Facebook group. We got a comment section. We got Twitter. Moving to television in 2003. Here's something you couldn't pitch today, unless you're like a streaming Fox News member. Uh, the Real Roseanne Show, a Roseanne reality wow, show. Wow, does this sound strange? Because it's not just a reality show. It's a reality show about her doing a cooking show, yeah. which mm-hmm. uh, she ended up canceling after watching the pilot and also had a bunch of health problems and had to get an emergency hysterectomy, which does tend to put you off doing fucking anything. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, oh. Uh, oh, Roseanne. <laughs> oh, Roseanne. How oh, I miss thee, even though you're still alive. Um, oh, dear. Sex in the City episode, A Woman's Right to Shoes. <laughs> yes! This is one of the episodes I hold on. I'm glad I didn't put this in here, but I hold this up as like, and this is why Sex in the City could actually do good in the world. Uh, say more right now. Okay, so this <laughs> this is an episode where Carrie goes to her friend's baby shower 
and they're like, oh, no shoes in the house. And she's wearing $500 Louboutins because that's what she do. She, she takes her shoes off. She goes to the baby shower. She comes back. Someone has stolen her fucking shoes. And she tells the host, someone that was in your party stole my shoes. I should be reimbursed for my shoes that were stolen at your party. And her friend is like, I can't support your life choices of spending so much money on shoes. Yeah. And she's like, bitch, I spend so much money supporting your life choices of having babies and getting married and having a bridal shower. We have all these rituals where you're supposed to go and give a gift to a mm. woman that are usually connected to their relationship with a man. But single people don't get that shit. It's true. Child, child free people don't get that shit. There's, I spend no, all no this money that compares to any baby shower on my friends and their goddamn engagement parties. So what if I spend that kind of money on shoes? Now I do not support spending five hundred dollars on shoes, but Especially I think not on a writer's salary. All what right, yeah. This? Do you? But but you think the host has the obligation to pay for your shoes if they go missing at a party? To to either find the culprit and return the shoes, no questions asked, or reimburse. Yes. Wow. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, it's a party. Carrie could have said, I don't feel comfortable putting my shoes here. I'm going to leave. I, I, I don't necessarily think the host is responsible for anything that happens to your items at a party. I'm going to leave my shoes in the car. Locked up in the glove. Yeah, box. she could have done that. If they're five hundred dollars shoes, it's New York. She did not. Them. She took a cab. True. Yeah. Put no. them in her purse or something. No, I, no. I, I don't necessarily think. Okay. That. Well, first you cannot fit those in a purse because she has a little tiny fashionable purse anyway. Now, if she wanted to lock them up somewhere away from the shoes, eroding, sympathy draining. But no, the 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 thing is, like, one of the other people at this party is a thief. Do, stealing something really obvious. Like, mm -hmm. it's going to get to the end of the day, and she's going to be like, where the fuck well, are my shoes? They all got super high, to be fair. This <laughs> okay, is a party where they're all getting, like, ridiculously high, yeah. and that's shown in the episode. They are all, like, blissed out of their minds. Right. It's utterly possible that someone is not a thief, uh, but they're just a high person moron. who accidentally right. took them. They took the wrong shoes. Yeah, moron. Right, and that's why it's the host's yeah. obligation because the host knows who's at that party because they invited them. Fair enough. It's their job to be I, like, I hey, guys, think you guys, I know, right. boy, that party sure got crazy, but someone left with shoes that weren't theirs. I'm not accusing you. Just bring them back. No questions asked. That is her responsibility. And if no one brings those shoes back, yes, she should reimburse her for the shoes. I would never reimburse anybody. For I know $500 <laughs> sounds like a lot of fucking no. money for shoes because it is, but... And that can't yeah. be her only pair of five hundred dollars shoes. No, either. it's not. She's a closet full of them. That's where she oh, spends yeah. so her this money. Diana, mm -hmm. I usually fall on your side in a lot of things. I just can't go with you here. Yeah. That's... No, I. And there is a point where she I, she see, offers see, her about it's, half. It's the not money. to me the host. Okay. Mm -hmm. If if I brought my PS five to a party, uh -huh. okay, and then I get super wasted, and the PS five is not there, I don't know that I would demand my host buy me a new ps5 i right. don't think i would do that i would absolutely say please ask all your people mm -hmm. but i don't know i would say as the host of your party you are legally responsible to pay me for the item that i brought to your party i don't think i'd go there hmm. I, i'm just remembering one time i went on a uh, russian river e expedition with a bunch of friends and i lost my apple watch my apple watch came off in the water mm. and the bottom 20 feet down Back. and 
then on the way back my sandals broke so i'm walking back on hot pavement over glass sans apple watch like oh i'm out like hundreds of dollars on this <laughs> I never thought anybody was responsible for that, but they felt so bad for me. They got me a gift certificate and like some Donald Duck sandals, which I still have. Well, that's nice, but with but the... it wasn't anywhere close but, to like but a that's, new Apple. That's force majeure. That's that's an act of God. Someone didn't steal your sandals, right? But I'm saying they felt. I, I can see why you do that at a party and maybe like, hey, if I can't find my shoes, why don't we do a GoFundMe? Everybody here, just yeah, help everybody kick in ten bucks and let's yeah. And she does offer and like fifty people here. <laughs> yeah, and offer, she offers. She offers like, half. Like she offers half. Which is, I mean, I don't know what the wear and tear is on shoes once you drive them off the lot. But that yeah, could have been a reasonable worthless. situation. You yeah. cannot sell a pair of hundred shoes for $250. You cannot do that. Mm, maybe. If you're selling them out of the back of a truck, yeah. You can really Ooh, man. Now I'm thinking about it. Getting yeah. all good fellows with this. I don't know. Yeah. But oh, the overall point, though, is that, like, yeah, why don't we have parties for single people when they accomplish something? When they, they got a new job, let's have a party. Like, some people will have a housewarming party, but generally you don't. If you're moving apartment to apartment, you know, like, okay. hooray, I got a new apartment. Look, it's really good. Everyone buy me things. I can understand how single Carrie hasn't had a wedding or a baby shower yet where she's given her life is made easier. And most of her taxes are going to support children and families she has nothing to do with. I understand what she's saying. Yeah. But uh, I think no. Most of your taxes go to the elderly. Statistically speaking, no. far the, more the military. The military. Go to the, el yeah. <laughs> the military. Elderly by far. Yeah. I by believe far. it's the military the by far. It's like sixty percent. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's uh, if you consider discretionary funding, which is not an accurate uh, representation of total funding. If you look at total funding, including um, Social Security, Medicare, and all that, it's the elderly by far. Man, what show is this? I like this. I'm not saying. <laughs> Now, can... now, Jr. If I took my PS2, let's say PS4, to your to a party at your house, and one of your kids damaged it, so it was oh, yeah. inoperable, it makes perfect sense that you would buy me okay. a new one. It would, because I am culpable legally. I am responsible for my kids' actions until they take they are eighteen. Mm -hmm. That is both a legal precedent and, in my opinion, a moral precedent. As mm -hmm. their parent, I am responsible for them. So yes, if my kid damaged a property of yours, I would replace it hundred mm percent. -hmm. But if we're at a party, I don't know who took it. Mm -hmm. I don't know uh, what happened. You were high. Maybe you took it and you lost it. I don't know. I would absolutely call everyone and email yeah. and say, no thing. questions asked. Please return this. Please give them back. <laughs> you know, I would I would make that effort. I don't know. I would feel the need to give you five hundred dollars for your shoes. Mm. I just hate that you have five hundred dollars shoes. If these were yeah. any other types of shoes, I don't think we'd be talking about. Hey, yeah. my Asics got stolen. Like, ah, here's 40 bucks. Yeah. But I mean, that's kind of part of the, the argument is like the idea that, oh, well, single childless people, they, they just throw their money around. They're silly. And it's like, and? I mean, that's sort of that's, how I felt with That's a Apple choice watch. that you make. I think that spending $500 on shoes is silly as well. I don't really give a shit whether you have kids or not when you're throwing that kind of money around. I think you're silly, but that's me. I buy my shoes at Target and they all are <laughs> terrible. So <laughs> what do I know? Um, yeah, I, Diana, I'm not yeah, with you But I'm this. standing up for the singles and the child-free folks and telling them, stop fucking judging us. 
I, I like, I would even point to like, ooh, I had a sign that said no shoes under three hundred dollars in that. House. So <laughs> technically, you violated the rules yeah. by stepping in here with those. Right, but also she was not. Now, if she had been told ahead of time it's a no shoes house, she would not have worn the expensive shoes, and it never would have been a problem. I find it really hard to have sympathy for Carrie in this case, but uh, no, I know. think morally she's right. I it's just know. the it's just the amount that we're quibbling about. If there were a hundred dollar shoes, yeah. we'd all go, oh yeah, okay. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's definitely the amount. And yeah, <laughs> uh, five hundred dollar shoes. Can you imagine? Yeah, and that's twenty years ago. <laughs> 20 oh my years god! Ago. Oh my god! Well, Son speaking of, of twenty years ago, it wouldn't be a episode of thirty twenty ten where you didn't talk about Futurama, but this time it's in video games, and it is something super fucking cool. Futurama on PS2 and Xbox. I got the Xbox version because it had higher resolution and the possibility to scale upwards. Because essentially the Futurama game, which is not great, mm-hmm. the only place to get new Futurama. <laughs> there is a lost episode inside of this game with the voices and the animators. It's It was an amazing thing to have happened. And I wanted to make sure I supported it. And I did. Yeah. And if you can find this episode on YouTube, uh, episode in air quotes but if you've never played the game it's a decent episode of futurama you can just watch all the cut scenes there's you like miss five percent by not playing the game and it's funny it's got the futurama style it's a closed time loop which i always love it's Mm -hmm. enjoyable and we have a clip don't we Mm -hmm. i swear no matter we need to repair the ship and we need to do it fast Leela, you start banging on the control panel. I'm on it. Bender, you'll have to bend the ship back into shape. Man, how come I always have to do all the bending around here? And Fry, you, uh, what exactly do you know how to do? I can burp the alphabet. A, B, D. No, wait. Good. I could just play the whole thing. I'm sorry. What? I haven't watched this. I'm going to go back. I have to watch this whole, every cutscene now. Yeah, imagine you didn't have a brand new season. Uh, Yeah, you'd have a a missing episode locked somewhere inside the games. um, Well, we just had the finale. (laughs) We just had the first of four finales thinking, oh, wow, Futurama really is gone forever. Wait. Oh, I get a little bit more? Is that that how quickly it happened? Like, the game came out after the, oh, wow. I thought I felt like it was a long time after, but I guess not. Uh, what the hell is First True Dungeon? That's that's a bold title. This is the first True Dungeon experience at Gen Con. Gen Con is the world's largest gaming convention, which I've already mentioned. True Dungeon is a LARP RPG where anyone can play. You go in. And uh, they assign you a role. You're given these tokens. The tokens then give you stats to your character. You walk through. You have very physical objects to interact with. I went this year. There was a 20-foot troll we had to defeat. And it's (laughs) on hydraulics, so it lifts up and it speaks to you. Uh, To fight things, you slide your tokens down these little shuffleboard arenas, and where you land determines if you hit him in the eye or in the groin. And uh, it's a really, really fun thing. If you're ever at Gen Con, spend the money, do True Dungeons. With that, we can wrap up the uh, 2003 segment, close out with Never Leave You, Uh Ooh, Uh Ooh, by Luma D. It's on the charts this week. I'm assuming I'll realize what the song actually is when I play it, but right now I don't have any ideas. <laughs> I'll let you know when we get back after this short break.
Mr. Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth our watching. And for the week of August 11th through 17th, we got two movies turning 50. Let's start with... Yeah, I guess we'll start... Let's start with the musical. Wee musicals. But, oh, this is a different kind of musical because it's a rock opera. And it's Jesus Christ Superstar, directed by Norman Jewison, who I found out is not Jewish. And this makes me sad because uh, his previous movie was Fiddler on the Roof, like the most Jewish story that ever was. And, yep, doing the musical of Jesus Christ Superstar with a bunch of hippies out in the desert. And it's different. It's a different way of staging a musical. Like, it starts with them setting up to stage this musical. And, you know, it's, uh... <laughs> JR, you were in Jesus Christ Superstar, the play. I was in the play in high school. Who did you play? Uh, Jesus. Uh, so I played Disciple Who Never Sings Because I Cannot Carry a Tune in a Bucket. <laughs> That's nice. I, I dated one of the Pharisees. Yeah, it's a popular show because it's fun. You know, it's, it's a bunch of songs strung together. They're upbeat. They're fun. And the movie is uh, <laughs> it's some like hippie exploitation, man. It is very fun. Um, I'm sad that uh, former host Sarah isn't here because I know she loves this movie. I just I can tell. So send happy thoughts her way because, you know, she's having some. And then also, you know what? Actually, can I make a tangent for a second? So Norman Jewison's previous movie was Fiddler on the Roof. And a thing I watched like three or four weeks ago that I really enjoyed is some insane person uploaded to YouTube a the Japanese production of Fiddler on the Roof in the 80s. <laughs> Which, now that was my impression. It was just like, oh my god, you've got to be kidding me. First of all, it's a great production. Second of all, apparently it was super, super popular over there. Because it's a story about a traditional paterfamilias whose daughters won't listen to him. And he tries to adapt with the times. Yeah, people in Japan can understand that. People anywhere can understand that. It's It was pretty fun. I did a lot of scrubbing to find like them saying the names of my favorite characters. Like Laser Wolf. I really wanted to hear. Do they have to like make that name more Japanese, but no. I think they say motel instead of motel the tailor, but it's fine. And really good dancing too. Like, just go watch the Lachaim number. It's great. Anyway, back to Classic Corner. <laughs> also turning 50 years old this week, Gauntlet Throne, George Lucas's best movie. That's right, bitches. Here I come. I'm standing American Graffiti. I should not stand American Graffiti because it is such boomer nostalgia. Oh my god, shut up. Do I remember where I was in 62? No! Because I'm not that old. But I love American Graffiti. I really do think it's George Lucas's best movie. I think it's his best directed movie. It's his best written movie. It's paced a lot better than his other stuff. Honestly, yeah, JR, thank you for throwing in the chat. Yes, it's nostalgia for 11 whole years ago. <laughs> American Graffiti, I mean, it's because it's personal. Because he's writing what he knows along with Willard Hook and uh, Gloria Katz, who ended up writing Howard the Duck for him. But incredible cast of all people who are like just breaking through. Richard Dreyfus, Ron Howard, Paul Lamatt, Charles Martin Smith, Candy Clark, Tiny Mackenzie Phillips, she's like 17, Cindy Williams, Wolfman Jack, and fucking Harrison Ford, where he still was working his carpentry job. And it's cool. It's just about guys cruising down the street, picking up chicks, getting into shenanigans before the loss of innocence, before someone's going to go off and get killed in Vietnam. I, I don't know what else to say. I, it, it is hard to watch it sometimes. You just think, God, boomers, stop it. But it's also sort of like general feeling of like like the summer before college or the summer like the first summer you come back from college where it's like you don't really have responsibilities yet but you're also like an adult and can make decisions and it's fun so yep those are my recommends for this week stay classy <laughs>
my plans, baby, that's all right. This is a drop, everything kind of thing. Swing on by, I'll pour you a drink. The door's unlocked, I'll leave on the lights. Baby, you can't crash my party anytime. Coming into 2013 with Crash My Party off of the album the same name by Luke Bryan. Yeah. More country stuff. Hooray. Really feeling it. I did see 20 years ago in the achy breaky period, country had gone from a 2% share of the audience to almost a 9% share of the audience in a year. Dang. So that was Damn. It. I just, yeah, I thought we had too much news. It wasn't worth mentioning. But uh, yeah, country didn't used to be as embarrassing. Other new releases from 10 years ago, August 11th to the 17th. Um, but, Chris, you just pointed out that, you know, <laughs> the Battle of Montgomery. It's, they tried it Battle in a small town. Give me the Jason Aldean <laughs> version. I'll shake my fist at CMT all day long. Uh, <laughs> new releases include Melody Calling by the Vaccines. Yeah, right. Like, I'm going to get that album. Uh, it's got nanobots <laughs> in it. <laughs> Yeah. They're going to force you to get that album, Chris. You're going to have to get that album whether you want to or not. Get a whole musical album over 5G 10 years ago? I don't think so. Big D by Big TV by White Lies. Uh, Rebellious Soul by K. Michelle. Overnight by Parachute and a song across wires by BT. Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke featuring D.I. and Pharrell Salim. Uh News. We got nothing, people. We got nothing going on this week. We got too many movies. 10 years ago. Not enough ago, news. Everyone's in a theater. I 10 years ago, I debated worth subscribing to hulu and i'd never stop asking myself that question uh how about that i canceled my subscription i'm resubscribing next week to watch murders in the building murders nice only murders but then moving into movies of 10 years ago like this title couldn't be bothered to see the movie nate parker keith carradine rami malek ben foster rooney mara and casey affleck and ain't them body saints oh this this is an interesting one because it feels like it kind of feels like a lost Terrence Malick movie. It feels a lot like Badlands. Like he's going for a Bonnie and Clyde kind of broken down thing of like there's, you know, this couple and like they, they're doing crimes together. And then uh, Casey, like they get caught. Casey Affleck totally takes the rap for them. And then like she's trying to pull her life together. And the cop that she shot doesn't realize that she's the one who shot him. And like they kind of have a relationship. And then Casey Affleck breaks out of jail and tries to get back to him. And... It's written and directed by David Lowry, who did Green Knight. So, you oh, know, shit. it's going to be visually really interesting, but a little slow. A movie I own and still haven't found the time to <laughs> pop in to the old DVD player. Visually fascinating, little slow. But yeah, it Ain't Them Body Saints, I was, I don't know what I'm getting with this title. So yeah, I man. wasn't sure what I was walking into. And I was like, oh, okay, we're walking into kind of like a, like a, th- it's not a, there's a Western element to it, you know, because it's a lot of wide open spaces and, you know, panhandle Texas kind of looking places. But really it's about, you know, just trying to get by. Just trying to get by. Yeah. Trying to get over, man. Yeah, uh, no, it, light, light know. recommend for me, if that's what you're into. Oh, good, because someone's going to have to come to the table for... No. These 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 movies were all, nope. like, last, uh, if I have time um, to watch or rewatch, such as Richard Dreyfuss, Julie McMahon, Josh Holloway, M. Beth Davids, uh, Lucas Till, Amber Heard, Gary Oldman, and Harrison Ford, and Liam Neeson in Paranoia. I wish it were Liam Neeson as some other one. Liam Hemsworth, my pet. <laughs> That's why I didn't see it. Because uh, he thought he was going to just kill all those other characters. Oh, yes, oh watch Liam Neeson kill Amber Heard. Okay. It doesn't make sense, but when I get high, it gets worse. This paranoia. Oh, gosh. He's going to go back. Speaking of Schindler's List again, M. Beth Davis, he's going to kill her this time? Oh, fuck. Liam Neeson, don't do that. 
Um, wow, boy, did no one have anything nice to say about this movie. Like, we have four more movies, and they were all critically... Most of them, I'll say, better than I expected. This one, I'm not even going to bother, because it's it's like a tech spy kind of... Like, you know, Liam Hemsworth has to go spy on this other tech company for Gary Oldman, who threatens him, and then Harrison Ford is in charge of the other tech company, and then there's now he's got to be a double spy or a triple spy... It, it sounds like a computer wrote it. So Harrison Ford has 45 movies on Rotten Tomato. Oh, no. I don't like where this, this is going. This movie is tied for last place. Does anyone Ooh. know what it is tied for last place for? It better not be Crystal Skull. No. Oh, it could um, be. Okay, Hollywood Homicide? No. Whoa. That's a bad Firewall? No. Which I confuse this movie with. This has been a week of confusion for me. Anchorman 19%. This movie is 7%. Random Parts is 15%. And of all his movies that have a ranking on Rotten Tomatoes, Paranoia is tied in last place for another version of Paranoia. (laughs) There are two versions of Paranoia on Rotten Tomatoes, both at 7%. With Harrison Ford? With Harrison Ford. That can't be. What? I'll send you the link. It's right here. But yes, he is. This is tied for worst Harrison Ford movie of all time with itself. What the fuck? Is it like a director's cut or something? It doesn't tell me, but click on the link. There's two versions of Paranoia on that list. Okay. Yeah. And the movies. Let's just forget that that happened. Let's just all pretend uh, now like the next movie which everybody dutifully decided to forget existed yep. uh matthew matthew modine that's two of jiminy click's sons uh jk simmons <laughs> lucas haas josh gad termit mulrooney and ashton kutcher in oh i should have got a clip of 45 saying it jobs uh, the first of the the dueling jobs is actually you know what i take that back i found out there is a third jobs yeah that was that came first that was a funny or die movie that is now oh. impossible to find, starring Justin Long. And I'm very upset I could not finish out the Jobs trilogy this week. Will you accept Pirates of Silicon Valley? That sure. was also in the discussion. That's yeah. what I was thinking, the made-for-TV one. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. I think that is the best Jobs. That's probably... Uh, it was, it was before he died, so he wasn't fucking deified like he is in the other films. Well, all right. Well, let's, let's talk about Ashton Kutcher Jobs. Uh, and then we'll get to the other jobs. Is. What are you working on? This computer terminal that hooks up to the TV. My name is Steve Jobs. Welcome to Apple Computer. Okay. These are state of the art. Steve is a time bomb. I'm trying to build Apple, and they're taking it away from me. Something has to change. Raise the white flag. You're either with me or you're against me. Jobs with PG 13. Okay, so this is the reputation of being the lesser of the two Jobs movies. We is so that we have to we have to clarify we're talking about Jobs with Ashton Kutcher, not Steve Jobs with Michael Fassbender. So this was the one that has the worst reputation, and everything made it look like it was just a tongue bath about how great Steve Jobs was. So I went in with very low expectations, and I was very pleasantly surprised to find out. Oh no. They show you what a dick he is. Mm-hmm. They do not avoid, no, this guy is a fucking asshole. But they still can't get away from, but he's a genius, so it's worth well, it. It's like, is it that's though? Not, 
that's not subtext. That's text. There's a line where one of the characters says to Steve Jobs, you're damn good, but you're an asshole. It's like, thanks, yeah, movie. I, thanks yeah. for following the Futurama directions <laughs> of having your character say, that makes me feel angry. Yeah. So, so to be uh, fair, the, you- the two jobs do not necessarily cover the same period. This is more the beginning of Apple and the Fassbender jobs is several periods and like one is the introduction of the Mac, Three. one is the introduction of the iMac and the iPod, I think is the last part. See, I would iPhone. say this is trying really hard to show you Steve Jobs' entire life. In fact, there should be a line in this movie where a character says, <laughs> Steve Jobs has to think about his whole life no, no, before no. he can do a presentation on the iPod. Steve Jobs has to email his entire life. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so some of it, like, I ended up really liking because early computer stuff is pretty interesting, but they also didn't explain things to me very clearly. Like, there's a scene where they go to, like, the first California Consumer Electronics Fair, and they show all the different companies and all the computers, and they're like, ladies and gentlemen, the Apple II. And and everyone applauds. It's like, oh, my God, it's amazing. And it's like, you just showed me a Commodore that looks the same. You haven't explained to me why this is better, except that Steve Jobs is standing next to it. Yeah, if we're going to get technical, bitch, you got to get technical. And then they go right to, oh, yeah, he cuts out everyone who helped him. Um, He shafts them and fucks them all over and um, makes them miserable. But it was worth it because he's a genius. Yeah, a special little iPhone I can match gems on. Yeah. Like, in some ways, I almost feel like it makes him look worse than the other one does. Mm -hmm. See, it really fails because it falls into the biopic trap of trying to show everything. Like, early on in the film, we see Steve Jobs talking about how his parents gave him up for adoption and he never really forgave them for that. He never understood it. He's got a bunch of issues for it. Fine. And then later on, we see that he fathers a child and completely abandons that child. Mm -hmm. And then it's never explored ever again. So the real Steve Jobs had to do pot before he could interact with his own child just because it gave him so much anxiety. And that could be an entire movie of itself. Mm. You were abandoned by your parents and now you're abandoning your own kids. Damn, that's a story. (laughs) But the movie just glosses over it because it's doing, you know... So this and Bill Gates is not ever shown in this. He's a voice. It's not even a voice because we never even hear his voice. He's a unheard half of a phone conversation. He's Dr. Claw. (laughs) 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 Fucking bad horse. You just hear of this legendary man. And this film is a series of situation. And even though it's like how he got kicked out of his own, not enough conflict, you know, it's, it starts out bad, and it reaches the level of a mediocre HBO movie by the this, end. I saw what I saw this, and like, this looks horrible. I will never watch the rest of this. So standard biopic-y. I always feel... Was there a glitch in the system when we made Ashton Kutcher a millionaire celebrity? Like, he seems like a nice enough fella, <laughs> but doesn't have, like, the gravitas to really do stuff like this. Well, He's fun when he pranks people on MTV. Yeah, I, I, jobs? I, I will actually defend him a little bit on this one yeah. because I, I don't know a ton. Like, I've seen, you know, some Steve Jobs running around doing stuff back in the day, whatever. 
you know, he's a guy who likes to seem sort of mysterious, but he, he does a good job. I don't feel like he's doing an imitation of somebody, which is what I was expecting. I was expecting there to be a lot of ticks or something to tell me that guy's definitely Steve Jobs. It's like, no, he's doing a pretty good job of yeah, just turtleneck, low beard. I got it. You know, well, he's it, another thing that we should explore more going back to Classic Corner with uh, American Graffiti. Let's talk about hippie sellouts. I want mm. more movies about hippie sellouts. God, it makes it the Jim like Henson it's... story. Yeah. No, <laughs> not just Jim Henson. Uh, but everybody in that fucking uh, Trial of the Chicago 7 movie. They all became, like, oh, a Jerry Rubin movie. <laughs> the ultimate hippie side. Yeah, you can get rich being a stockbroker in that way. That'll, you'll hassle the man. Fuck you. Fuck you, sellouts. My father's whole generation, yes. Oh, they all sold out. So I, I just watched a clip of this, and my big takeaway was that Blackberry movie is one of my still one of my favorite movies of the fucking year. That's what Please. everyone says. <laughs> if you want to see a movie like this based on something that fails miserably, Blackberry hmm. Baby, with where everybody is an asshole and an idiot. Um, see again, this film should have been like about his failure with the Lisa. Yeah, the Leslie, the Lisa, whatever. the Lisa, and the new. Yeah, he he names a product yeah. after his kid, but he won't talk to the kid and says he's not her dad. What a dick! Mm. Yeah, so again, make that the film. Mm. You're ignoring your own kid, and you name the product after, and the product fails. Tell <laughs> me that doesn't have pathos. Mm. I, 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 but I think you're right. Just, but I think you make a movie like this. I would complain if it focused more on like his child's relationship because I want to see the com. I want to see the stuff I like in there. The all the Apple stuff. That's and, Probably uh, I'm there to see the that movie. was one idea. Again, it's the biopic failure mode of trying to do the entire life. Pick one thing. Yeah. N- pick or one event. Things. That's enough. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Three things. Yeah. Throw in Seth Rogen. Boom. You're done. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I want to see the Battle of the Wazes. I want Josh Gad and Seth Rogen to like fight for charity. So my versus the real is- Waz, which is like, man, if I could we get a Wozniak movie? Because it's like in all of these versions of, of everything, everyone is like, Waz is the best. We love Waz. We don't know why he stuck around so long. He got so abused. Make my, the my Wozniak thing, film. My favorite thing about this movie is Kutcher was clearly, you know, getting into this role and accepted a, a, a fucking award at the Teen Choice Awards. Do you remember this? And it went like mega viral. Mm-mm. I was just Googling it like this all at the time, all these websites that barely exist, analyzing it because he's like, I've learned a lot of things as Ashton Kutcher. But let me tell you this. My real name is Chris. And here are are the things I learned. And he gives this total Steve Jobs speech like during the teen fucking choice. award. (laughs) And my biggest takeaway was like, oh, my God, the two leads of that 70s show were ashamed of the name Chris. (laughs) Oh as God. well they should have been. Oh, God. What am I doing? Why did I think I could succeed in this world? Wait, it's every guy our age, man. Every yeah. guy is named Chris, Matt, or Mike. Yep. Deal yeah. with yep. it. <laughs> Just had to remind a separate group of friends how I'm not used to being called Chris because I grew up with four best friends named Chris, and we all had to go by our last names. Yep. Um, too many. And All then right. some moving on next moving <laughs> next on. one movie I had very low expectations for it exceeded those but not enough for me to recommend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there there you go. It's kind of an unnecessary sequel that even the people who brought it to life sort of backed away from. Hmm. But well, not as bad as its reputation. Its reputation yes. was this was awful. Like Jobs. Because I was expecting awful and I just got eh, eh. Because unlike Jobs, people are comparing it to a masterpiece i will defend the original one of this as a really excellent film for what it's trying to do 
Absolutely. Fair enough. Fair enough. Absolutely. But I think, um, I forget, never mind. Uh, Olga Kirklina, Clark Duke, Jim Carrey, Morris Chestnut. Jim Carrey's that low. Uh, Donald Faison. Did, did you John watch Lugosamo. it? Yeah. <laughs> that that uh, was, they they Janet lead us, goddammit. Uh, Christopher Mintz-Plass, Chloe uh, Grace Mortez, and Aaron Taylor Johnson in Kick-Ass 2. He did, he'll never get Chloe Grace Moretz's last name. Oh, never. Chloe Grace Moretz. <laughs> never. Love her in Nimona. Oh, uh, Nimona was great. Anyway, Kick-Ass 2. My daddy made me promise I'd never stop defending this city. I'm Hit Girl. I'm Kick-Ass. We're the good guys. I am going to make him pay for what he did to my dad. Put the word out. Ten million dollars for his head. Game on! Eisenhower? (laughs) Yeah, there's a dog on your back. (laughs) Rated R. Oh, you better believe that's rated R. <laughs> rated R superhero movie. Yeah. But I think that's the diminishing returns of something like this. It doesn't explain how much I still love the boys and I'm looking forward to more of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, a rated R superhero movie kind of at the dawn of the superhero, like the apex of the superhero boom, essentially, or right after Avengers here. I don't know when you're making something that's kind of like anti superhero like how many people actually want to see that prolongedly and i think uh matthew vaughn he's he made the first one right yeah even he like him and mark millar are so intent on starting these cinematic comic book universes outside <laughs> of the comic book system i do find something annoying in that <laughs> like, you had an x-men movie <laughs> but you refused to make it what's going on and kick-ass 2 is just like this works once it's really hard to make it work again with the well, they, they aged out of it i think yeah. is a big factor of it you know i think a lot of the appeal of hit girl was how young she was yeah yeah and there she's she's still young but she's not that ridiculous young that she was in the previous movie yeah. and uh you know the protagonist doesn't look like a high school student to me yeah well mm. she's i mean she's 16 yeah aaron taylor some i don't know aaron taylor johnson looked somehow I think it's just growing out his hair and letting him have pimples or something. He looked younger than like a year or two before when he played John Lennon, who was supposed to be like 15. Like, how did you do that? Is it just because back in the day people wore ties? I don't know. <laughs> it's like you look younger, but you still don't look like a teenager. Not quite. You're all, uh, you're like yeah. 19. You look maybe 19. He's 23 at this point, And hmm. I, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. some 23 year olds can play 18. I don't think he can. Yeah. But is this the start of Jim Carrey taking super cool roles. Um, huh. Cause I don't remember when he, he did Burt Wonderstone already, but that wasn't yeah. that cool. But I, I think it's him not really wanting to star in anything, but he kind of got paid. I think more than, I don't think actors get a 20 million, $25 million paycheck anymore these days. Mm, and he depends. got a couple of those. Yeah. No, and, I think uh, there's a very few people that can can still pull one off. But I'll be honest, they they kind of they tricked me. They like I said, they Janet lead it, man. Because I yeah. thought because the plot of this is you know they're superheroes. Really, they're costumed heroes. No one has any powers anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These, these are all regular people who go out and patrol the streets and beat up you know anyone committing a crime. And uh, Kick Ass and Hit Girl or Kick Ass really joins up with this other crew of costumed heroes led by Jim Carrey as this like very now Christian ex-military ex-mafia guy. Mm-hmm. And I was expecting, yep. oh, he's going to turn into the bad guy. Like the, the point of this is going to be that self-righteous vigilantism in the wrong hands is dangerous. No, he gets fucking shanked. <laughs> and that's the end of that. I was like, well, well what? <laughs> 
I think Kick-Ass 1 was all about what if there was a guy who actually tried to be a superhero in the real world. Right. And I think Kick-Ass 2 is trying to go, what if there was someone who actually tried to be a supervillain in the real world? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't pull it off as well. I do love that the supervillain calls himself the motherfucker (laughs) after he finds his mother's SMM gear and he wears it, (laughs) which, (laughs) holy fuck, dude, go to therapy. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I I like the. uh, I kind of wish it wasn't bringing Christopher Mintz Plus back, though. But that the idea that his superpower is I have money, so I can just give someone 50 grand a week to be my super henchman. It's like, mm-hmm. again, there's, there's somewhere you could go with that that, that could have been more interesting for me. Called but this Venture is, Brothers. Well, yes. <laughs> and, and yes, I have watched the movie and it was wonderful. And I, I want more movies. We need to find out who's in the Scare Bear costume. But this one, yeah, I had heard like, there's no reason to watch it. It sucks. It's awful. Blah, blah. And I was like, it's not sucks and it's awful it just was it, it just felt like nothing special right it was okay it gets it's my okay. seal of okayness there's a couple of fun little bits i love the point where they use a body as a sled on a car i'm not oh, sure yeah. i've ever seen that before oh and the scene where th- that's where a they good put action a... scene in the uh with mm-hmm. the van that's a yeah. solid action scene i i really enjoyed that one and the other one where they put a lawnmower a lawnmower <laughs> on the back of a car and then quickly back up into another car so the lawnmower smashes into the window and eats their face. <laughs> I mean, that's creative. Oh, great. Peter Jackson would be proud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just I just think it's one of those things you like the sort of what we described the Matrix. You you do that and then you just do it again. Part of the Marvel phenomenon is introducing these characters the whole world knows and wants to see on screen and Kickass doesn't really have the opportunity to do that. Because nobody knows these fucking characters. Most have been introduced to them through the film. So this added layer of, well, you took Nick Cage away from us, and Mm. now the kid's not a kid anymore. Huh. Yeah. I guess this is pretty violent. Like, there there were some scenes where I thought they had a good idea. The idea of, you know, Hit Girl's been raised since she was very tiny to do incredible violence to people. And now she's just got to go to high school and deal with mean girls. And Mm. there was, I felt like there was more there of, like, no, you can't. You you can't use extreme violence on them. God, though, they deserve it so much. Yeah, but yeah, it ends up just sort of not doing anything. Just oh look, she made him throw up with whatever technology, and that's the end of that. Like okay, wh- wh- where are we going with this? I don't. Know. Yeah, uh, d- disappointed, but not as disappointed as I was ready to be. Yeah, I, I was. I found myself unmoved yeah. considering like the kick-ass trailer brought me and all my friends to the theater on day one to see it, and I caught this on demand and like, oh, is this still on? Like, I, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, and don't another know. one was like, well, I don't feel like I wasted my time. Right. I don't feel not like I was insulted. It. I'm not mad. That was fine. Uh, the, well, but yeah, and the, but it does pale in comparison. I, I agree. The first kick-ass is is a, so much fun. Light recommend. Yeah, I, I will recommend kick-ass one and then stop there. If you really feel the need to watch this, you're not going to be like incredibly frustrated. But if you haven't watched Kick-Ass 1 in the last 15 years, just watch that. You don't need to see two. Yeah. And then, uh, ooh, moving on to my own disappointment, not seeing this on the list till too late. And like, oh, been meaning to watch this for 10 years now. And I haven't. Uh, Liev Shriver, James Marsden, Robin Williams, Jane Fonda, Alan Rickman, John Cusack, David Oyelowo, what? 
What, what movie at? does that sound like we're talking about? Who are these people? What are they doing here? Oprah Winfrey. Hello? <laughs> uh, and Forrest Whitaker. It's number one at the box office. Don't call it the butler. Call it Lee Daniels the butler. I'm Cecil Gaines. I'm the new butler. I want to hear all the The White House swore him to some kind of secret code. <laughs> he served seven presidents. I am thrilled to be working with all of you over the next four years. And during a time of change. Something special is going on down here, Dad. My boy's in jail, Cecil. He became their inspiration. I know your son is a freedom writer. Turn the bus! No, I never understood what you all really went through. You changed my heart. Daniels, the butler, August 16th. Was that at the end there? Was that a Lincoln? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> All right. I, uh, <laughs> love my butler. Yeah, let's ro- <laughs> run through that cast list again. Forrest Whitaker as title character, Oprah Winfrey as his wife, David Oyelowo as his son, John Cusack as Richard Milhouse Nixon, Ellen Rickman as Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan. Jane Fonda as Nancy Reagan, though. I love that. I love that for her. Cast her as her nemesis. That is beautiful. Same with Cusack. Cusack's yeah. You know what? And here's, here's the thing. We run through this. Cusack actually does a good job because mm-hmm. all of these characters are very easy to just do very broad imitations of. He doesn't become the Futurama character. He just implies him. <laughs> Rickman, I think, has the hardest <laughs> job because he also he has trouble with an American accent. Always has. Robin well, Williams as Dwight D. Eisenhower. Most of us don't know what he sounds like. So <laughs> he just has to look serious. James Marsden as JFK. Again, really easy to go too far and, and, and it's just clone high. He does I, probably the best job in the movie. And But Liv Shriver <laughs> as fucking LBJ. Definitely is the biggest dick of all the actors we talked about. It's just, it's just bizarre. That is bizarre. More, more bizarre than like Ronald Gruber. <laughs> What? Miss Ronald Druber? Yeah, Ronald Druber. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just just like you're saying with, yeah. the, with Sean Connery and talking about <laughs> Japanese stuff the other week. You can do Reagan as Gru- Gruber as Reagan all goddamn day. Merry Christmas to all. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> A movie that I heard infinitely more about before it came out than after it came out yeah i it's you know i'm gonna blame oprah on this more than anyone maybe because obviously she's produced this as lee daniels they're pretending it's his follow-up to precious because the paper boy has scarred us all very very deeply and the cusack comes back to work with him god damn it but (laughs) um he should have lost his number and blocked it a long time ago for the shit he gets up to in that movie I hate love the paper boy so much, but press. We're going for prestige here. This is some Oscar bait. It's going to be prestigious. It's also going to tell a very important story because Forrest Whitaker, you know, he's born on a cotton plantation. His parents are sharecroppers, basically practically slaves. White guy just shoots his daddy dead. No repercussions whatsoever. He goes off. He learns how to work in fancy hotels. He ends up becoming butler to all these presidents working in the White House. Working so long, he's neglecting his wife, and his kids are going to go off and have incredibly stereotypical adventures in the civil rights movement. <sighs> but it was still better than I expected, and it does depict some stuff in the civil rights movement that needs depicting. Unfortunately, I think most of that is depicted better in another David Oyelowo movie called Selma. Selma. I would rather awesome. watch Selma again so much. 
that movie is so much better and captures such so many issues within the civil rights movement all in one movie instead of just sort of spreading it out like this this guy he's like forrest gump or zelig where it's just like where is he now now he's standing next to mlk now he's become black panther now he's doing this like god damn it it, it, this may be cynical of me, but where does this stand around the Oscar so white controversy? Mm. Like we definitely have to have an Oscar Beatty movie with a bunch of white people playing presidents. Mm-hmm. How do we get some black folks in there so we don't receive this criticism this time? No, I mean I feel like it's almost the it's opposite. No, it's before Oscar so white. Yeah, but I mean they're telling a distinctly they're really tell, trying to tell the story of like Black America. Period. Yeah through through this and so we've got all the civil rights activism stuff but with david oyelowo and forrest whitaker is always walking in on conversations with presidents where they're talking about an important civil rights thing and sometimes they notice that he's a person and sometimes they do not and they bring up that like black employees at the white house are not being paid what the white employees are at the same time they're talking about civil rights hey fuckers pay attention it's like it's a and you know they're talking about lynchings and they're talking about police brutality and you know whether it's better to cause good trouble or pick up a gun or be dignified and like there's a scene where mlk talks about being in being a butler is like a subversion of white racist ideas about black people that like they're lazy and uncivilized it's like this is the height of civility to be a butler Mm. but it's also (laughs) a servile position that you you are not treated like a person in these are Mm. issues worth talking about this movie has zero subtlety about them Mm. nor does it want to Mm. it doesn't want to be subtle it wants to have all these conversations at the same time maybe a movie isn't the best place to do that Mm, maybe turn it into a netflix series have one episode on all the presidents he served dude that sounds Mm. infinitely like an infinitely better ideal (laughs) (laughs) even now six episodes six presidents yeah or maybe narrow it down even more and go watch selma there you go because that's a very focused movie that pretty much covers all of the same topic but that's telling the story from the leader position of the civil rights movement Mm -hmm. it's not telling it from someone who was on the sidelines and i do think there's something worthwhile like about telling right. stories about people who are not leaders. Yeah. Mm. Well, that was probably the thing I liked most about this is that there becomes a, a big generational divide because, you know, Forrest Whitaker's position is, why are you causing trouble? You're going to get yourself killed. And, you know, his son is like, we got to do something. And eventually he comes around and realize, oh, right. We do have to do something and getting killed for the greater good is, is okay. Would it shock you where this movie ends? In 2008. Uh, The Dark Knight comes out? This movie, because remember, we're in 2013 and Obama is still president. So obviously racism is being solved right now. And everything is going to keep getting better forever. And that's where this movie ends. There's a Mm. black president and he gets to shake his hand. With a white butler. As it should be. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I don't know. That would be interesting. Does the president know. still have a butler? He has to. Oh, yeah. There's so much no, stuff they got to deal butlers. with. Yeah. I mean, somebody's got to bring the Diet Cokes and whatevers. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone's got to yeah. drive that Corvette around for the new the new guy. Right. Exactly. Uncle Joe can't drive. Yeah. Like, I just, this movie very quickly fell off my radar and never, ever went back on it. What's up? Yeah, the president still has butlers. Hell yeah. He just, yeah, of course. Uh, they've got, like, recently, they've got to have hundreds of people. one retired after. One just retired after 47 years uh, Damn. in 2021. 
Wow. Ugh, you got to yeah. work for 47 years to retire? God damn it. I mean, where, where do you go that's like more prestigious, though, if you're buttling? But I, I don't know. A king or a queen? I guess. Um, yeah. So, like, okay, overall, I know. I feel like I'm, house. I, I'm like nitpicking and dumping on this movie. Was it worth watching? I guess, especially um, if you're an idiot white person like me yeah, who needs things pointed out to you that you probably haven't thought about. I just couldn't Overall, get over the hilarious and stupid Warner Brothers exercising like, we have a movie called The Butler. You can't call it that. <laughs> because they inherited a silent movie from the teens. <laughs> from the teens. So this movie was forced to call itself Lee Daniels The Butler. And it had to keep Lee Daniels' name 75%. And so I, if you were like me, I'm like, who the fuck is Lee Daniels? Um, Precious guy, because normally you'd see right. from the director of Precious, because I don't know his name yet. But that was fucking Warner Brothers exercising some really weird ownership over the name The Butler. I mean, they do that all the time. Technically, The Avengers is Marvel's The Avengers. Right. It's true. Because or of the Avengers British Assemble. The Avengers. Yeah, uh, they mm-hmm. The Avengers Assemble. Yeah, uh, oh, like I'm, I'm stuck. I'm so close to recommending this, but no, actually no. <laughs> Just, I guess, but so much better than I expect. I expect this to just be trickly and stupid and dumb. And instead it was schmaltzy, but not dumb. I don't well, know. The real, the real power is in television. Yeah, it really is. Because uh, it's, first off, 10 years ago, 100th episode of Keeping Up the Kardashians. Oh. Yeah, powerhouse of basic cable television. I have not seen an episode of it, and I don't have enough knowledge to make fun of or praise it in any way but uh that happened but the real big deal for me oh breaking bad was a really interesting journey i remember a real film nerd when there was four episodes of that show it's like dude it's like the coen brothers made a show and no one's talking about it (laughs) and then it starts hitting netflix and then everybody's talking by the time that final season came out Mm -hmm. that i can't believe it's like been 10 years since like everybody is watching the show as it's airing some through theft, some through <laughs> some through basic cable, but this episode is absolutely phenomenal, especially after the Hank takes a shit memes. He has some idea of <laughs> oh god, I think I know who who uh Heisenberg WW is. is. WW yeah. is. And this last line, I think everyone throws out one who knocks, but this is my line. what proves what a good actor Brian Cranston is, because like I've tried to do this. How he quickly turns. Hank has a pretty 95% sure his brother-in-law is the biggest meth dealer in Albuquerque. <laughs> but uh, Walter White is trying to be like, no, I have cancer. And even if you were true, I'll be dead in a year. Like, let's just not say anything about it. And his li- last line of this episode, I like rewound it like eight times. And JR put it here too. One of the best lines of the show. I don't know who you are. I don't even know who I'm talking to. If that's true. If you don't know who I am, then maybe your best course would be to tread lightly. How did he go oh. from feeble cancer victim to, to so menacing, he's scaring the shit out of his brother-in-law DEA cop, like threatening him to his face. Mm. Like, this is such a cool showdown. These are some of the best 
last episodes in history. Every every bit of Breaking Bad season six. Is, yeah, I, I watched I ha- repeatedly. I watched. I would download them and watch them like two or three times. They were awesome. See, I was a day one viewer. I uh, I watched. I read about Breaking Bad probably in Entertainment Weekly, and I was like, mm-hmm. "That's a cool idea for a TV show. I'll watch that." And I watched the first episode. I was blown away. So I was following along with it in real time. My wife was watching with me, and she noped out when... Uh, That's up full of acid? No, uh, when Walter <laughs> White lets the girlfriend of Jesse uh, choke oh, on wow. her own vomit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She was like, this is the end of his journey for me. I don't need to see anything else. Mm-hmm. And then I kept watching it and kept talking about it at parties next to her. And I was like, and then this really cool thing happened. You sure you don't want to rewatch it with me? No, no, no. I had my ending. And that's that's one thing I've always admired about my wife. She will watch a TV show and then say, this is my end and have no desire to ever watch it again. Hmm. When it ever reaches her ending, she's fine with that. But this final season blew me away. I'm going to have to use every ounce of uh, self-control not to put every episode because it was just so amazing because the show was not afraid to just burn it plot lines. It was Hmm. just like, okay, he knows that he's Heisenberg. How long is this going to take? Like two episodes. Uh, <laughs> they're going to explore it all, and then they're going to move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. I am curious. What did you guys think of the flash forwards? Because watching it in real time, I was like, oh, my fucking Lord. How are they going to get there from here? Exactly. That's what I was thinking. I was like, okay, at some point in the future, we're going to be at that point. What the hell is going to happen in between here and there? I didn't love it. No? I, I, no, just because, like, uh, the story of him getting a gun just isn't that interesting. Mm. Uh, there, w- there wasn't an interesting story there until you got to what he was doing other than getting a gun. Yeah. And, well, but, but, I mean, some yeah. of it for me was like, well, I know he's going to survive mm-hmm. to that point, <laughs> whatever the hell that right. is. That's that's why I just don't know why it was there. It wasn't very sad. Because I better call Salt that it's so much more masterfully, like, the mm. Flash forward. Even then, meandered a little bit. But whatever. I, I I think the season is flawless. Fucking oh, flawless. So good. I I almost want to see if there's someone out there who can. Did someone edit down a 90 minute version of this season that I could watch? Would I even like it? And then there's El Camino, which I drunkenly fall asleep or falling asleep thinking of Breaking Bad. I can just throw an El Camino anytime, and it fucking rules. Such a good <laughs> movie. Anyway, the debut of Hulk and the Agents of Smash debuts on <laughs> Disney XD. Disney really uh, Marvel acquisition. The Hulk, the Hulk just can't get a good TV show. Um, this has a pretty dumb pre- premise at times. Uh, Rick Jones is a YouTuber in this universe, and at the end of the show, he like talks about the adventures and breaks the fourth wall, and it's really clunky, and it disrupts the flow of the story, and it doesn't work really well so i i have no idea why they went with that route it's it's very strange but as far as i know what the thing that led disney to thinking it should acquire marvel is the reruns of cartoons on its sister cable channels like (laughs) these things have a really long shelf life and kids love them and they're moving a shitload of merchandise and that is like the one area i don't think they've succeeded in since they purchased it there's been guardians tv shows avengers tv shows and they all last like a season and a half two seasons and they go away but sometimes that's just how animation works speaking of this makes me feel terrible (laughs) as an adult with no cable who's out of touch when i try and make a reference to something new that kids are into now that's 10 years old. <laughs> <laughs> pa- 
Paw Patrol is debuts on Nickelodeon this week. Um, so I, even that reference is hack for me. God damn. <laughs> Whoever came up with this concept deserves to be a millionaire. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kids love dogs. Kids love firefighters and policemen and all that stuff. So why don't we combine dogs with all those cool jobs that kids love? Yep. Boom. Oh, my God. Millions. The, the guy who created it also created Bob the Builder. You know what kids love? Building shit. Contract. Trucks. (laughs) Wood. Nails. And I I think, I can't be sure of this. I said it on a previous podcast when I did have Cartoon Network a few years ago. It was interesting to me how they ungendered a lot of toys. And there would be commercials for the same Paw Patrol toys with boys and girls for the same product. But that's how they gender stuff. And it's, they'd seem to appeal to bo- both groups for the same reasons. Hmm. Now, you see, I, 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 none of my nieces and nephews are old enough for Paw Patrol yet. But, you know, kids in the neighborhood, I see them playing with stuff, whatever. Paw Patrol has largely gotten on my radar as the next Barbenheimer. Are you guys up for the next Barbenheimer? Yes. I am up for the next Barbenheimer. Saw Patrol. Saw Patrol. <laughs> the 10th oh, right, Saw right. film and Paw Patrol, the second movie, the mighty movie. Are yeah, coming what? out the same day. It's already been a Paw so, Patrol movie. There has, yes. Yeah, well, it was 2021. You know, it was the pandemic. You weren't paying attention to that. Oh, boy. Yeah. This was one of, if not the first cartoons that my son ever fell in love with, watched it. Not you know, sure. it's. It's just a great concept. Uh, and it became popular enough that even SNL made fun of it as in this clip. Oh, God. <laughs> but it's become clear that six dogs cannot protect a city roughly the size of San Diego. Criminals and lowlifes are flocking here because they know there's only one cop patrolling our streets, and it's a dog. And there's only one firefighter, also a dog. So if there's two fires at the the same time someone's getting screwed i guess <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's that brilliant thing with the uh, the cars stuff like you anthropomorphize cars which kids are already into with characters and who are all the famous firefighters and all the easy to understand kid jobs oh now they're dogs with names brilliant you're brilliant yeah. you deserve an award yeah for, for what should have been a no-brainer for every toy company forever. Yeah. Here's a cosplay right. debuts on Sci-Fi. Um, what? Yeah, just a, a cosplay competition on Sci-Fi Channel. Um, yeah, and I am mad that listener, I did not I don't... know this existed because I only just want to look at people doing cosplay and explaining how they built their outfits. That's all. Yeah. That, that's the only thing I would ever go to Comic Con for is just to ask people. Ooh. Hey, is this? Did you? Is this molded rubber or did you? You know, I just want to know about how they built it. Because I'm a crafty jerk and that way. Cosplay is a great hobby. If you love it, great. My advice to you, never spend your rent money on cosplay <gasps> as this clip shows. No. It's more than a hobby. I have to have this all done. You don't understand that? It's a way of life. We are literally tapping into our rent money at this point. This is Heroes of Cosplay. Anything you want to do, anyone you want to be, you can do that. But you can't do it but when you're homeless. Your <laughs> no, you can be Hellboy in an apartment. <laughs> don't, don't want to make Hellboy sleep out on the street. That would be horrible. Well, this is one of my favorite items from TV. Aqua Teen Hunger Force enraging DVR users everywhere. Damn Changes it. its name once again. <laughs> so annoyed. But I, I delight myself because, you know, as, as 
all my friends my age were super into Aqua Teen, and then we kind of moved on and moved out and abandoned cable and didn't get so there's all these aqua teen intros sometimes when we're drunk and playing around with youtube I'm like you haven't seen the the last four aqua teen intros and this is one of my favorites following aqua teen hunger force and then aqua unit patrol squad one and then aqua something you know whatever changed its name to aqua tv show show schoolie d is back for a jazzy beautifully animated intro let's just hear a little bit of this <laughs> just black and white like a beautifully animated sequence of the them all playing instruments it's only beaten by aqua teen forever the next name the show will switch itself to God damn it why are they doing this to me i don't know I when anything is on if it's not on my dvr i have to make a little list of all the streaming shows that come out every week i have a little reporter's notebook next to the tv to let me know Wait, when is Only Murders going to be on? <laughs> when is when when does uh, Ashoka start? I don't fucking know. I get a 15-year-old YouTuber doing this and thinking it's super funny because he's such an edge lord. I do not understand a big cartoon show on Cartoon Network doing this. It I think blows those, my mind. Like, those days are kind of over, but you got to remember it's the too many cooks era. It's the uh <laughs> Info weird infomercial that airs at four in the morning, like the the surprise season premiere. They kind of reveled in being cool and made you want to tune in all the time because they might do something unexpected. And I don't think that works at all anymore. But <laughs> maybe ten years. And the, the the guy who headed up Adult Swim is gone, so I'm pretty sure people are going to take over. And those ideas are dumb. They they are because the show never changed. It didn't change what it was. It just changed its title to be annoying. <laughs> the same show every time uh and then last a uh, second to lastly the fourth season of duck dynasty premieres and receives double the viewers of breaking bad blood money because Oof. life is unfair yep. and yeah. yeah so this is the largest audience ever for an original series produced for cable television scripted and non-scripted wow. and the highest rated series in a and e's 29 year old history wow. so yeah Double the people watched this as watched Breaking Bad. Now you understand why people voted for Trump. Uh, <laughs> a little more. Uh, there were a lot more of them out there. And then lastly, Futurama Game of Tones. Oh, this is the uh, the Star Trek Four one? No, this is the one. Yes, this is the Star Trek Four. Star Trek one. 4. I'm sorry, I mean, you are not, not with, well, there's not literal time travel, but the idea of. There's no Welshy. Yeah, but the, the, the you know, the. Mothership is sending whale song, and we don't have whale song to send back, so they're going to kill us. That premise. Yes. <laughs> That's the premise. So Fry has to go back in time, but he can't go back in time, but he can go back into his dream. But in his dream, he cannot encounter anything that he didn't already encounter. But it's a nice little episode in that it shows him that his life in the past wasn't as bad as he often remembered. Flat out says, you know, maybe I thought it was worse because I knew I could never return to it. So I wanted to make myself feel better. And that makes me feel angry. <laughs> um, it ends on a super sweet note with him going into his mom's dream. And uh, it's it's a beloved episode by many. I think it's good. I think it could be improved. If you watch it, Fry has no reason 
to really want to connect with his mother. And I think they could have fixed that by just having him because in past episodes, he's reconnected uh, with every member of his family, but his mother. So in this episode, he could have had good dream experience with all those people. And he could have been like, but the one I never really connected with was my mother. But they just kind of like force it because, you know, motherhood is a powerful emotion. Yeah. Uh, so that's true. Yeah. We don't know too much about his mom, except she's like super into football, mm-hmm. which is fun. And she <laughs> ignores Fry. Yeah. A she, lot. You know, but it's like the reverse of so many people with I only got into baseball, so I'd have something to talk to my dad about. And then we can bond over that kind of thing but it's his it's his mom yeah <laughs> also the dog reappears it makes me sad yeah <laughs> <Your dog. laughs> all right all right and then moving on to video games of 2013 august 11th through the 17th mario and luigi dream team i think the f- it's the final mario and luigi game oh no they had a uh, crossover with paper mario but this one's pretty great inside the dreams of luigi they messed up this one yeah. in bowser's inside story perfect they play around with uh you know uh being inside a body this one you're inside luigi's dream it should be you know like that preview for the new mario movie uh mario video game mario in wonderland or whatever where it's all trippy and dreamy and psychedelic and dream logic and they don't they don't do any of that. It's it's kind of kind of boring. It, it's the one I it's the first one I didn't finish because uh, yeah, it wasn't as interesting as the Bowser stuff. You know, complete complete yeah. completely different gameplay in and uh, uh, anyway. And then uh, Jesus Europa Universalis Four. That's a JR game. You can have that one. Yeah, <laughs> this is incredibly dense. It has a garbage tutorial. A uh, learning curve steeper than the Empire State Building, <laughs> and it's an incredible game. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a simulation of Europe from uh, 1450 to 1850, and Ooh. you, yeah, you go through everything. You can colonize the New World. You can sail the seas. You can reform your state into an absolute monarchy. You can reform it into a uh, into a republic. You can do all these things, and it is an amazing what-if machine. If you like the what-ifs of history, this is your jam. Just know that completing this game counts as half of your credits to your doctoral thesis. <laughs> Um, I wish I could say more about Plants vs. Zombies 2, but I'm just downloading it now because it's free on iOS 10 years later. And I'm just shocked. Uh, wait, is this a different game? It's about time? No, this is the sequel to Plants vs. Zombies 1, which I fell in love with. I, I Plants vs. Zombie 1 on three different platforms, like 100% <laughs> nice. of the whole thing. Love yeah. that game. And then EA bought that company and just those releases came out fewer and fewer. remember they made a fucking shooter at it like a like a third person shooter at a mm-hmm. bbz uh yeah very strange the the first one though is a gem i uh it was the first iphone game i ever like fell in love with and got deep into i remember i was on a boat in a vacation and someone was playing their music very loud and i tried to play it politely say you know it would be nice if you could turn that music off they were like fine whatever and then i go back to my plants versus zombie and eventually i hear a tap on my shoulder and i'm like yes and they were like you know it would be nice if you turn your music off too and i was like what because i had <laughs> so zoned out in the game I did not... yes yes i was doing that for the entire boat ride i felt so 
bad. Uh, that was all Chris, by the way. He didn't play a clip. He just did that on his mouth. Um, <laughs> played a lot of this game. <laughs> uh, but two falls into the freemium trap. It went mm. free to play, and it just wasn't as engaging. I fixed it. I played it as soon as it came out on free version, and I just mm. couldn't get into it. So I should probably give it a second chance because uh, it's been 10 years. It was one of the more fun games on the Vita. Touchscreen functionality, yeah. uh, no freemium stuff. Cool. And then uh, we also have something I can't speak with any authority on. Payday 2 is out. Massive popular multiplayer game where it looks like the opening of dark knight that a lot of kids play i hear speaking of something grown kids were playing oh it's been 10 years since ducktales remastered for uh guess coming out on on digital this this week eventually you can you can still find them uh and on disc in stores hmm. but uh that that's came not, later that's not anything you know anything about right chris i i, I worked on this game <laughs> uh i worked on this what? game and, and I think just just to show you, like, I don't know, not to depress anybody, but this, like how long 10 years really is. This was amazing. This uh, game Capcom made back in the day, work with Disney, and they can essentially remake the NES game. Not a lot of, can't really make any new stuff. That would require new approvals. But with WayForward, one of the best old school side-scroller game makers, working with WayForward to like basically who empl employ animators and make this Car playable cartoon the way DuckTales it felt like it played in your mind in 1987 and they get the voice cast the surviving voice cast which is many uh, to come back and, rep and reprise their roles in a ways they never could in the original and 10 years on almost the entire cast is gone mm. it's like yeah. Rusi Taylor all the nephews and Webby uh, Alan Young Scrooge McDuck gone Chuck McCann gone uh, June Foray Magic of the Spell gone it, it feels nuts, but it's like this is a really great near last final swan song for these legendary showbiz people, these voice actors in something that was very, very well received. If the only, the only criticism I saw is like, it's real short and sometimes it's kind of hard and like, yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it looks new, but it's an so old am I, game. bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Alan Young was what ninety four when he was recording almost these ones. Wow, almost a hundred. Yep. That's and almost 100. amazing. The Mister Ed guy. What? The Mister Ed guy. Yeah. <laughs> what a career! It's insane. Excuse me, the Time Machine guy. He is doing Scrooge McDuck in the Time Machine. Oh my gosh! The Rod this Taylor one. Uh, yeah. Wow. So, Chris, do you have any stories about the making of this that you can share? Um, that I can share. Uh, I, uh yeah. I mean, it, like it. It was already largely in the works when I got there, so I didn't I didn't have anything like that. I I, I thought one of the funniest things was, and this is where I get that from, and I, I I don't I could be speaking. Everyone always tries to prove me wrong on this, but they're like uh, I wrote some promotional stuff, and like uh, and I said I want I, I, can we? Do you think you get Launchpad to read this? And they're like, uh, let me check. One email made her like yes. I'm like Jesus Christ, what? <laughs> and like so all of a sudden like are so are you gonna direct this voice session? I'm like what? No. No, I'm not going to, to direct my first voice session with one of my favorite characters from one of my favorite shows. Absolutely not. Do you want to sit in at least? I'm like, yeah. And then I didn't because I went to a baseball game with my family and I just didn't want it. Something about hearing. I wrote that for him to say. <laughs> and uh, here's one of the funniest things and, and, and that I learned about Disney. We had some lines, some pickup lines for Alan Young, and I got to write a, a bunch of those. And we were going to have him say Capcom stuff like uh, uh, Shadouk and like shit like that. Um, <laughs> and 
and they got back to us. And I don't know if they were brushing me off. These are Disney rules. And like Scrooge can't say that because he doesn't know he's in a video. I'm like what? Because oh. uh, we, we asked, asked like, you have a Scrooge McDuck outfit. I've seen it at Disney World. I know it's in storage. Can we use it at Comic-Con? It's like, that's not how this works. Like Disney characters can be in Disney World. And if you want him to come to Comic-Con, Scrooge doesn't know Comic-Con exists. So you need to build a piece of Duckburg mm -hmm. and you will have to have handlers and that's the only way you can get Disney characters. And it was this discussion. It's why you don't see Disney characters after the 60s being like, buy my product. My cereal <laughs> is delicious. They'll appear on a box, but that's just a picture of them. They're not telling the... They, I thought it was kind of nice because the minions don't give a shit. They'll tell you to buy all the burgers. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Disney characters don't talk out of universe product at all. Uh, it's not allowed. <laughs> kind of neat. I'm sure Marvel and uh, Star Wars have exceptions. Yeah. In terms of their voices, if you want to play the clip for our listeners, you can tell that these are older people, but mm -hmm. it so captures the spirit of the DuckTales show mm -hmm. that it's just, it's mean to notice that they're old people. <laughs> Sorry, McDuck, but your meddlesome nephews are a wee bit tied up at the moment. Flintheart Glomgold, you put the beagle boys up to this. Guilty as charged, Scroogey. I've been the world's second richest duck long enough, but these treasures will soon change that. <laughs> oh, tell your goons to release my boys. Not till you fork over that last treasure. Yeah, I can it hear. Also, you you, you can hear a, a little roughness from Alan Young, but. Not 90 years of roughness is not what no, I would have assumed no, no, at no. all. Because, I mean, he, yeah, he started it, he was playing Scrooge in 74 and did Jesus. it almost exclusively uh, up until this point, until he was literally dead. He did the voice of Scrooge. Oh my God. And so this game was my introduction to DuckTales to my own kids because oh, oh, nice. I hear that a lot. They really weren't interested in the old cartoon show because listeners, it doesn't hold up that well, but they were willing to play this game and they liked the cutscenes, and they love the new DuckTales reboot that we, we watched together and it was a great experience. I thought it, it was interesting when I Googled DuckTales, that reboot was very, very good. I'm mm -hmm. not shitting on it, but it's been gone for a few years and this old version has completely overtaken it in a Google search. You'd have to specifically <laughs> wow. say 2017 version. It's like, it's almost like it never happened uh, because that, you know, that's the strength of our, the nostalgia and we're the generation who kind of pioneered stuff on the internet. So, but that, that, the, the, the funniest takeaway, not funniest, but for me, it's, it was, I just started working on the other side of games as opposed to the press and like, Oh, I can't wait to see how people receive this. And then I had to really confront my getting old and i didn't feel old because i'm you know 32 when i'm starting this ducktales adventure but it goes out to reviewers who are in their 20s and like these characters talk too much and like you bitch part of the <laughs> point was assembling all the voice cast and to make one more episode of ducktales you sons of bitches how dare you and like they're not supposed to care about that they're not supposed to care about the difficulty being preserved or anything like it was just interesting because it wasn't like a 10 across the board and a, a lot of fun milestones with this and being able to champion a lot of cool steam stuff was just so cool um and yeah it was anytime there was a ducktales question most people would come to me i ended up doing a lot more disney after students noon stuff with the the capcom team and it was a real pleasure to work on it really was and everybody who saw it melted going to new york comic-con was really fun just because that was some for some reason where i saw the most celebrities 
And I just remember like five minutes till close, I see, and we're right next to the door. I see Bobby Moynihan from SNL sneak in <laughs> and just it, like someone, someone punched him in the chest to see DuckTales. And I just grabbed him by the hand. Big fan, Mr. Moynihan. I shove a Scrooge pin in his hand. and like, would you like to play the game? He's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, awesome. Awesome. Anyway, DuckTales remastered. Get it where you can. It is out of print. Um, it is not legally available, but you can still find copies at your, I'd say I'd only see them at Walmarts and used game stores, but like, I don't know if that'll ever be available again. And it's kind of a miracle it happened in the first place. So get it while it's hot. <laughs> and that about wraps up the show, actually. Um, uh, here, talking me talking more about DuckTales and other games on Video Game Apocalypse every week, every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts with uh, Mr. Diana Goodman, Michael Raparez, and uh, Maddie Allen. Patreon.com slash laser time. Give us five bucks. We'll give you a bunch of extra shows. So much. We needed a lot to fix the equipment, to get people paid. Times are getting a little rough over here. I'm really stressed out about the audio. Please don't send me anything about it. I know, I know, I know. It's just, die. what about you? Well, I may or may not still be on Twitter, X, shitter, at listenernerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D. I should probably just start accounts for us for like everywhere else and just cross post everywhere but uh, I don't want to because I'm old I don't like signing up for new things nope. um, but until I manage to you can follow the show also on the shitter at 302010podcast it's 302010 that's how you pronounce X's in Chinese and so True. I'm calling it shitter that's where a lot of people use Twitter on the I know I do. So 302010 podcast, 302010 podcast. We let you know uh, when the show is out, all the different things that we recommended and where they can be found streaming online for as cheap as possible. Coming up next week. This week was sort of a week where it's like nothing was great. Things were pretty good, I guess, whatever. We got some we got some bangers next week. The completion of the Cornetto trilogy. Oh. This oh. one, for trois, trois couleurs this one is green. What does it mean? Find out. Uh, we also have, I think, the first of the Wannabe Hunger Games series is coming out. Oh, Maze Runner um, Divergent? What are we talking here? Uh, no, not, not even those. Uh, I think we have some more Ashton Kutcher. Um, yes. We had Lisa Kudrow and Damon Wayans in a movie together. Dude, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really curious to see how that holds up. And... You know, what, what's the famous line out of uh, Fugitive? That we have a hard target search? Mm-hmm. Oh, we have a hard target next oh. week. Are we talking action oh. Brimley? We are talking super action Brimley. Oh, hell yeah. This <laughs> one of the finest films of the 90s. <laughs> yeah. Don't fight me on this. Action Brimley. What? I'll tell the story wow. next week. Oh, my God. <laughs> and if that wasn't enough, we get the premiere of the Black Precursor to Friends. Oh, the show that Friends ripped off that everyone says. That's what Black Twitter yep. says. Yeah. Yep. We will receive an infinite amount of Disney. Oh, no. Oh, boy. And one of Omar's oh, best moment on The Wire. Oh, shit. Omar coming? Yes. Finally, on this show. And now it's time for nope. the deaths. Because yeah. I jumped the gun. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. Well, we have a hero and a villain this week. In 2003, we lost Herb Brooks. He was the coach of the 1980 Miracle on Ice hockey team. He was only 66. Kids, do not drive when you are tired and always wear your seatbelt. He had a one-car 
crash felt probably because he fell asleep at the wheels no drugs no alcohol in his system but he fell asleep at the wheel and he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, and that's what got him not and, and fair wear your seatbelts. note to just a shout out to my zennial millennial pothead friends like guys named herb seems to have it gone extinct hmm. you like weed why not yeah, why not your kid herbert name your kid herb yeah just herb. also um, let's see, I guess we're a couple years too late for the anniversary of it, but the viral video of the four-year-old giving the big speech from the end of Miracle, it is what? so great. Yeah, there's the Kurt Russell movie where Kurt Russell plays Herb Brooks, uh, Disney, Miracle, you know, about the Miracle on Ice, and he gives this big speech at the end, it's really good, and there is uh, this four-year-old, memorized the speech, and he's wearing like a jacket and a tie, and he gives this speech, and it went viral in like 2009. He got to go... In front of before a Red Sox game and give that speech to the entire crowd. Wow. It is so cute. You should look it up. That that kid's awesome. He, he'd be a, a teenager now, I guess. Anyway, uh, also in 2003, we lost uh, Idi Amin, who was somewhere between Aww. 75 and 80. We're not sure. Aww. But uh, fuck that guy, the former president yep. of Uganda. He's responsible for somewhere in the range of 150,000 deaths. Maybe Jesus more, maybe less. Christ. That guy fucking blows. Um, but I get Will Forrest Whitaker won an Oscar for playing him, so it all comes back around on this show. Oh, the, the King of Scotland, you mean? Last King of Scotland, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yep. fuck Edie. I mean, he should not have been allowed to get to a ripe old age. Uh, all right. With that out of the way, what do we have, GR? It's time for the... Birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Born in Augusta, Georgia, on August 11th, 1953, so turning 70 years old, still with us. Born under a different name than he is most famous for, but I'm still not going to say his real name. He got fired. From his most famous job for starring in Rocky Three, Marvel owns the car- copyright. No, oh, it's Hulk Hogan. Sorry. Yes. It is Hulk. Oh, it- te- Terry Bo- Bole- Bolea. Bolea. Yes, yep. exactly. Seventy. Uh, Good God! How is he still? He's held together facts. with super glue. What the fuck? There, there was a really funny interview clip I saw with him and Theo Vaughn, and Theo Vaughn was being very nice. Like, so why is it all your, you know? You're, all your friends are like, and you're. He's like, are you asking why am I still alive? And he's like, yeah, I guess I, guess I am. Because if you think of everybody he's on a WrestleMania poster with, they're all dead, all of them, yeah. every single one. What did he say? Because I'm really curious. Uh, that he he was really more about gym life than like he. I like partying, but like you know, I'd go like I'd take months off of shit. Whereas I didn't get addicted to stuff, and I didn't use things super habitually, and I never stopped. And he look you. Say all lot lot you want about Hulk Hogan, he has not stopped going to the gym and probably eating very healthy um, in all mm-hmm. those years. Uh, other facts about him: Marvel owned the copyright on his name until recently. And, oh, yep. I didn't even think of that. That's yeah. come on, though. <laughs> yeah, they they were licensing Hulk. it like for super cheap for years. If you play the first video game, it says Hulk is a trademark of Marvel on WrestleMania. <laughs> no, Whatever, screen. it's a word. Uh, and he's the only pro wrestler ever to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Movies of his we've talked about include Gremlins 2, Rocky 3, Muppets from Space, Nomeo and Juliet, Thunder in Paradise Next Year, (laughs) Suburban Commando, No Holds Barred, (laughs) 
That would be amazing. China, Illinois, Hulk Hogan. He's oh god. If you're not watching <laughs> Dark Side of the Ring. Hulk Hogan had a real big villain moment on television last week, and it was amazing. More more villainous than in Muppets from Space, where he just says, "I'm sorry, I'm a bad guy now." More villainous, almost as villainous as his Bubba the Love Sponge sex tape. Um, oh, his destruction <laughs> of Gawker on behalf of Among Peter Thiel. Oh. It's. It's a scandal. I'm shocked a human being has survived, but <laughs> Hulk mm. Hogan, you can't kill him. He's been through a lot mm. and uh, met him. And he's a really nice guy to me. And he choked me and it was hilarious. <laughs> I, I knew a guy who was uh, a lawyer for a lawsuit with him. Wow. Hmm. Was it Richard and, Belzer? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> so the story is they were hiring Hulk Hogan to come in and do a parody of Miley Cyrus I'm a wrecking wrecking ball. ball? Oh, yeah, that's fun. And then he was getting sued for other stuff. Uh, He was illegally recorded, said some very bad things, Mm -hmm. but you still can't illegally record people even when they're saying very bad things. And the defense was saying this commercial of him doing Miley Cyrus like a wrecking ball shows that he wants to look like a badass. So therefore our illegal recording of him saying these very bad things didn't do any damage so my friend had to go in and testify that no that's really not it at all and he said hulk hogan was an incredible guy and he said you know he kept referring to everyone as brother and at one point he said the reason he did that because he he just couldn't remember your name yep (laughs) doesn't remember names so everyone's brother smart i'm gonna Mm -hmm. do that i would love to do that just you know, call everyone brother. Ah, what's up, brother? We've got to say, like, brother. Brother, you, brother. Uh, and that is about it for the show. Thank you so much for listening. It seems there's an argument in the notes on what we're closing out All with. All right. But I, so, well. I, I did tease that we talk about the other woot there it is. That's true. So we could do, you know, something from DuckTales Remastered. And that that is okay. fun. It's not, it's not something, Diana. Okay. This is the moon theme, which is considered by many, to be one of the greatest video game themes of all time. In the DuckTales new reboot cartoon, they use the theme from the video game in it to make you cry. Oh, that is tough. And I got to interview uh, Jake Verkaufman about uh, his music. He said that his Himalayan theme was his favorite. <laughs> hmm. Having to reorchestrate the Ducktales music, the Moon right. theme is wonderful. Well, but we did talk about Woot. There it is. The, that's true. Version. But but it, the, the thing is, we have in 1993. This is the moment where we have Whoop. There it is, and Woot. There Oops, it is. There the closest is. on the charts they're ever going to get. Whoop is a two, and Woot is at eleven. They are both <laughs> in the top twenty. <laughs> for a week but they're both going to stay in the top 20 for like a couple weeks so i i can put off hoot there it is all right for a week so that we can have the moon theme love the moon thank you guys so much for listening we'll close that by with jay kaufman from ducktales remastered fantastic song we will see you next week